pot of gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a great show for you today. My guest today is Tony McCloskey. Tony is an acupuncturist working out of Long Beach, Washington. We talk a little bit about alternative health, like the Eastern medicine, traditional Chinese herbalism and that kind of stuff, acupuncture. And we also talk about some of the differences and the reasons why some of the issues with the Western model can be relieved by incorporating some alternative techniques. It's pretty good. I myself have been receiving treatment from Tony and I've really benefited a lot from it. If you have not tried acupuncture before, I highly recommend you check him out. He's really good and he's really affordable. I was really impressed with how affordable it was because he really takes his time. It's not a get in, get out type of thing. It's a, it's a takes a bit, takes a few hours. It's He invests real time and energy into getting to know you and getting to know your problems and he genuinely tries to help you. So check him out if you're interested. I will include a link to his website in the show notes for this episode. If you want to check out Ramble by the River on social media, you can find us at Ramble by the River on Facebook and Instagram and at Ramble River Pod on Twitter. You can also find me on TikTok at Jeff underscore Nesbitt 88. If you're a member of the Patreon channel, Ramble by the River's Royal Ramblers or our Ramble Dabblers, you may have noticed that you were not charged for this month for Patreon, and that was because I didn't put anything out. So I, I turned off the billing for a month, and we will resume when I start putting the content back on there. All of the content is still available that's been posted before, so if, if you're hankering for some ramble on the road or anything like that, go ahead and just go right back to the Patreon, and you will find it there. But I really won't start the billing again until March. We've got a great show today, so I'm not going to drag my feet and ramble on all day here in the intro. Just a quick message from our sponsor, and we'll get right to the show. This episode of Ramble by the River is brought to you by Ford Electric, 360-642-2137. Serving Southwest Washington since 1944, Ford Electric is the local standard for quality electrical work and outstanding customer service. But don't just take my word for it. Richard H. went to Yelp to say that the Ford Electric team were prompt, careful, explained things well, left clear instructions, and were generally cheerful. They actively planned to minimize any inconvenience to me, and they worked hard to make the new outlets work well and look good. Alan P. said, In less than an hour, Ford came in and repaired the broken thermostat on my baseboard heater, and then upgraded three of my old fluorescent lights with cool new LED disc lights. Thank you for another great service call. You guys rock! Jessica M. had this to say, Very nice staff. You can tell this place is family owned, in a good way. And that's really cool. Everyone I worked with seemed to really care about the level of service that they provided. Very helpful in figuring out what I really needed, since electrical work is not my area of expertise. And making sure I understood what was going on. We'll definitely use them again. Five stars. Five star review after five star review. All of them saying how wonderful it is to work with Ford Electric. Whether you're in need of someone to wire your new construction project or you need someone to call when the lights go out, go with Ford Electric. Call 360-642-2137 to schedule your electrical service today. I can tell you from personal experience, I know the guys who work for this company, I know the guys who own this company, and they are top of the line, cream of the crop, human beings. 
If you call them and schedule something, you're going to get the best service available, and that's just a given. So don't make the mistake of going with somebody else. Call Ford Electric today for your electrical service in Southwest Washington. One more time, that's 360-642-2137 for Ford Electric. My guest today is an acupuncturist. He is a former Army infantryman and a former LPN, which is a licensed practical nurse. He dropped by today to talk about the military industrial complex, psychology, masculinity, healthcare, and several other things. We get into AI, we talk about music. I get all sad and emotional talking about my dead dog again. And it's a good show. I hope you guys enjoy it. Tony's a great guy, and if you're interested in pursuing his services, check him out. I highly recommend it. And tip well, because he's a great guy and he does a good job. Without further ado, please give it up for the kind and thoughtful Tony McCloskey. Is going. Alrighty. Welcome to Ramble by the River, the show where we figure it out as we go. Um, but yeah, so th- those are completely optional. If you're not going to use them, though, I'll unplug them so we don't get feedback. Okay. Yeah, that's a little bit distracting for me. So totally fine. Okay. Totally fine. Yeah. Just not used to it. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't blame you. The I actually love the way it sounds now, but the, it, it's a bit of a learning curve. It took mm-hmm. some getting used to because. It does sound very weird when you're just in your own head. Yeah, the fidelity is great though. You know, yeah. like it's it's clear signature. So. Yeah, it sounds it sounds nice. Yeah. The uh, these I like these mics. They're sure sure pretty good. So right. how's your day going? So far so good. Yeah, yeah. Had a day off today, so oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always nice. From uh, both both of your jobs. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, um, I have a tendency to want to nap on my days off, so I uh, definitely got to take advantage of that today. You get a good nap in? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> when I can, I do, for sure. So, Are you an easy sleeper? Uh, most of the time, I would say. Yeah, occasionally, uh, you know, something's bugging, but most of the time, I think I sleep pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty important for overall health. Yeah. Foundational, even. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm not sleeping good, nothing else even uh, matters like you can't start from no foundation yeah yeah i mean our restoration time is is huge and it really it affects everything you know like our physical energy our mental energy and um i have uh seen a lot of people that can't sleep well and uh it really i um i feel for them Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's it's not an easy lifestyle to have, you know, you know, chronic insomnia or, or those kind of things. Have you ever had a bout of it where just even like a month or something where you're stressed out and just can't, can't sleep? No, no. That's so lucky. Yeah. (laughs) I feel pretty fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember the last time I had like a long stretch of like several days in a row of real sleep. Mm -hmm. It's been years. Um, definitely since my daughter was born and she'll be five in March. Uh, but yeah, it's, I miss those 
when I was rowing in college, I would have every every minute that was available for me to sleep, I was getting quality sleep. Mm-hmm. I would fall asleep the second my head hit the pillow mm-hmm. and I would uh, just You're sleep out. solid. <laughs> and I just cherished. I remember I would go to bed with a big smile on my face because I'm like, I'm here again. I made it back. Yes. Because mm-hmm. those long days where you just with college and everything is just so hard. It was a hard life. So sleep was so, it just came so easy. Mm-hmm. And now my life is way mentally harder because um, I'm like, well, actually emotionally it's harder because I'm dealing with trying to manage my emotions with other people, kids, yeah. like my children. And so it's it's a lot more, uh, it feels chaotic all the time, but, mm-hmm. and it's way less in my control. When I was young in my twenties and college and stuff, everything's in my control even though I had no money. You just like, your life is your own. And once kids are involved, you're scrambled. Yeah. And I, I haven't slept good really since then. Yeah, I think it's easier to focus when without, you know, um, all all that. And then, you know, when you have that in your life, it's uh, it's a lot of extra consideration, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and you need to be present with all of it all the time, you know. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it can be a struggle for a lot of people, you know, but it also means that you care about what's going on in your life and you care about um, the decisions that, and your responsibilities that are, you're involved with. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's solace in that for sure, I think, you know, but catching up is definitely a good way to keep up too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really notice a difference if you do that, just lounge about have a sleep sleep in have a nap you know let your body actually just rest mm-hmm. how do you, how does your head feel when you do that do you do you struggle with relaxing or are you able to just check out and just enjoy the recovery um uh gosh i mean in what context my head like like for, do you, uh, for example a lot of people when it finally comes time to relax after working all the time like you working multiple jobs and just having stuff going on all the time when it is finally time to relax it can be hard to just let yourself unwind and lean into it and you're you're you find yourself ruminating or thinking ahead about tomorrow or anything and it ends up ruining it this happens to me i i if i have a day off i will spend the vast majority of the day um fretting just Mm -hmm. fretting about what i'm gonna do with my day end up doing jack shit because you just spend the whole day fretting. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I know a lot of people who struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an energetic drain, just worry, worry yeah. in and of itself. And um, yeah, I think, you know, to answer that question, there are times where if I'm worried about getting enough sleep, it will disrupt my sleep. You know, like if I am uh, had a long day and I have to get up early, um you know, uh, I, the clock's ticking, right? Like yeah. you're looking and you're like, oh God, I only got five hours. I need to make this happen like now, like yesterday. Oh, uh, sleep math is the worst because then you feel that shot of cortisol, right? <laughs> when you have that thought, you're like, oh, I better hurry. Yeah. Like, no, you can't hurry up to sleep. You can't, you can't. And so, um, and that's, uh, that's difficult. I think those are the most difficult days that I have is when I know I have very limited time to make it happen. And I know I'm functional after like four hours, typically not ideally functional, but you know, I can get by, um, but five, six is, is kind of the sweet spot. And then anything more is definitely a luxury, but yeah, most of the time, unless there is some precedence to get up in in a certain amount of time, I just kind of ease into it or have my little routine. Sometimes, uh, you know, recently it's been a lot of meditation. Like that's 
my breathing techniques and stuff are the things that I, I fall back on. Before um, I got into all that, it was like movies. I had certain movies that would always put me out, like oh, within, yeah. yeah. Stuff you've seen a thousand times? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I remember Lord of the Rings when it very first came out. Like the first one, it was just like, I never made it out of the Shire and I was out, like yeah. guaranteed. And so. That is a good one for that. It'll put you right out. Mm. Yeah, it's the, it's like twinkly and peaceful, the beginning at least. Yeah. 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 It's very calming. And, um, you know, I grew up to that book series and, and read that as a kid. So. Uh, Are you a big sci fi fantasy person, reader? Do you read still? Uh, not so much anymore. I, I also, I should caveat that I count listening to books as reading. Yeah. I don't, I yeah. say that most of the time, but some people are like, oh, that's not reading, but it is. Yeah. You're getting it in there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stick as well, but it definitely still counts. But anyway, are you a book, book person still? Uh, not so much. You know, I, I think once I started hitting college pretty hard, uh, you know, the last thing I ever wanted to do in my spare time was read more, you know? So, yeah, uh, I haven't transitioned out of that mindset yet, although I hope to take it up at some point. I mean, I remember finding a lot of um, a lot of value out of my reading when I was younger, you know? There's a lot there. It's mm -hmm. fertile ground. Mm -hmm. What about nonfiction? Like for, I'm sure you have to do continuing education stuff for your, for your acupuncture work. Yeah. Just to keep yourself fresh. Yeah, I think most of my readings really kind of focused on that. If I do have the luxury of of having time for that it, it's pretty much you know uh profession professional driven you yeah. know what i mean yeah uh, educational mm -hmm. that, okay so that's actually a good place to go i like your story of how you came from kind of the standard western medical model and, and you you got your education there and you learned a lot probably and then you didn't necessarily, well, I'll let you tell it, but you ended up in a completely different place. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what one would think has a similar goals, like of both of those systems, but it's, it's drastically different in practice and in experience. Absolutely. Uh, could you just go into that whole uh, saga of like how you ended up where you are? Yeah. yeah. So we should preface that with uh, Tony is an acupuncturist and he's working out of Long Beach and he's done acupuncture on me a few times. And it's amazing. It's the first time I've ever had it, and it has been really eye-opening. And so I'm excited about it. I've been looking into it a little bit on my own time and just kind of trying to learn about it. But the whole idea of energy and just trying to move energy and, and the way that it really ties in scientifically with our biology, mm -hmm. I, I find that pretty interesting. But I would like to hear about your, your personal, uh, kind of your personal story. Okay. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for coming in and uh, allowing me, you know, the honor to work on you and, and help out where I can, you know. Oh, it's so, been such a blessing. Yeah. So, yeah, um, this will be my 20th year in healthcare. Um, I started out uh, actually in the military. How I got into healthcare was kind of a fluke. Um, you know, I had, a, you know, I did a lot of side jobs and I, I went to college earlier on in my um, in my 20s and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I, I kept changing my, you know, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Your, uh, Ma major major. Yeah. yeah. I kept changing my major all the time and couldn't lock it down. And so, um, a lot of odd jobs, a lot of stuff. And then eventually, um, I was together with a gal that had a couple kids and, and I had to make a call like, you know, are we really going to struggle all the time or should we like really try to improve our lifestyle? So I ended up looking at the the military and the military is what got me into healthcare. And so 
Uh, I really wanted to join the Coast Guard. That was my big uh, passion at the time, but you know, I still hadn't had my life really sorted yet. And uh, I drug my feet on my application. Uh, I was a GED graduate, so there was some complications for my um, admission. And so um, you know, I had to write some papers and stuff. And I just, uh, I kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And eventually uh, I aged out, you know, there was a, a cutoff um, in that particular branch and I went over that cutoff. And so I ended up in the army eventually when I, when I got my life sorted and, uh, yeah, I, I joined the infantry, you know, my, my father was the infantry. He was, uh, 82nd airborne, 101st airborne. And, uh, he was a Vietnam veteran, purple heart recipient. And, um, you know, he's pretty hard. He's a pretty hard guy, you know, New Yorker and, uh, definitely had a lust for life. And, you know, I, I guess there was a curiosity in me, like how did he get to that place? You know, and I wanted to learn to be hard like him. And, and I joined the infantry and I hated it. You know, I hated everything about it. Um, I didn't understand it at the time. I was too young to really understand why they did the things that they did. Um, looking, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I understand it a lot more now that I've kind of matured into into sharing that that vision of what's needed for that kind of work what what do you mean exactly like the structure um the structure or the mindset that they tried to really instill in people you know there was um you know it was a lot of suffering it was a lot of um learning to perform and function in like the worst um conditions possible right like so you know, you see in the movies and you think every, well, I don't know, depending on the much movie you see, you know, um, it, they don't show a lot of, of the, of the grind of what that profession goes through. And so it's literally like, if it's the worst day imaginable, those are the days you're out training. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I'm thinking, Oh, I get to play with guns and I get to hike around and stuff and it, it'll be all, you know, kind of iconic and it's uh it's very much gritty it's very much dirty it's very ugly and so um and then training's not all that great you know you have really to get good training you have to really be an exceptional individual and, and go into ranger and go into sf and all that stuff to really i think get the real good training i felt like our training was always lacking even though we had a lot of opportunities to do really good things i never felt like we were really capitalized on a lot of that and I'm like, I don't want to like learn this when people are shooting at me. I want to learn yeah. it beforehand, you know? And, and I felt like we could have done a lot better when it comes to that. But that aside, um, you know, I wasn't prepared for the reality of it. And I think the biggest thing was the mindset. Like that's when everything kind of clicked for me. There was a mindset that they tried to instill at times, not everybody, that um, was very aggressive, you know, and you have to be to have a certain amount of confidence in that kind of arena. But, um, you know, it was borderline sociopathic, you know, at yeah. times, like there's people that really look forward and got excited at the idea of like killing other people. Some and, people really like that idea. Yeah. And it makes sense. There's been warriors in our societies forever, mm -hmm. um, but we're not all warriors we're not all meant to kill people. Yeah. And there's a lot of warriors out there that don't get excited about doing it too. You know what I mean? I like hope the, so. Yeah. So that part was really difficult for me to digest. Um, you know, I mean, uh, my idea of the military was like, you know, 
Hitler or Stalin trying to conquer the world and, and, and putting up a stand to it. And to me, that's what being a warrior was all about. It wasn't being excited about any of it, you know, and, and so. It was a duty. It was a duty, you know, shooting back at somebody who's shooting at you, you know, yeah. and I can do that, you know, and. But when I was put in a position where people were in charge of my life that really looked forward to doing that, I was like, okay, this does not feel comfortable to me. And so uh, I guess I'm not as hard as my dad. I don't know. And so um, when I got out, I was like, I want to do the exact opposite of what I'm doing now. And that's how I ended up in healthcare. So that makes sense. Yeah. There's a place for people who are just harder, but there's also a place for people who are not. <laughs> yeah. I think that we're both needed. I'm not as hard as my dad. Mm -hmm. And it, I, a lot of that stuff sounds very familiar. Just be, And my dad was not in the military, but he grew up in hard conditions. He had a hard life. Yeah. And he tried to prepare me for a hard life like that. And so he was a hard guy. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just really, I'm, I'm a soft boy. I'm a silly boy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just like, I just want to have some fun. Kind of talk about interesting things and just like have emotions and, and look at art. And I, I'm that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I actually came really close to joining the military when I was 17. Mm -hmm. I did very well on that ASVAB test. Yeah, yeah, same. And they all came asking me to join and they were very convincing like this one recruiter that i had talked to a lot said they were going to send me to uh officer training and put me on a nuclear sub oh wow and I, that sounded pretty sweet mm -hmm. but the idea of that exact social dynamic that you're talking about there with the authoritarian leadership structure and the idea that i might not be ethically or morally aligned with these people, and they're now gonna be in charge of where I go. And even if they say they're gonna stick me on some badass submarine, I might end up pumping shitters on, you know, some horrible little island, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I would have no that's, say in the matter. That's part of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I didn't do it. And, you know, who knows what my life would've been like if it would've been that way. But I did have to, I went through that process of being like, well, and it's the same, it's the same thing as uh, like mentally preparing yourself if you ever have to go to prison. She was like, I'm going to have to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to be able to be the turn the other cheek version of myself anymore. Yeah. I'm going to have to get hard yeah. to survive, just to be able to survive in places like that. You have to rise to the occasion. And I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you don't either. Yeah. Well, there's a, you know, I'm not going to, there's a lot of really wonderful people too Absolutely. In, in the military. And a lot of them really care about their command and the, and the people that are under their command, um, you just don't get the luxury of picking who your leaders are, which is is yeah. the unfortunate reality of that. And there's definitely a lot of um, presences that I would have been comfortable following, you know what I mean, in, in in times of hardship like that. And But you know, I've seen a lot of these gentlemen that have lived hard lives too, and, and it's, it's no guarantee that you're gonna come out of it you know, with any kind of, um, any happier of an ending than anybody else, really. No, you know it's just I mean? defensive. Yeah. You, you're hard from that exoskeleton. You built a wall around yourself. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is safer, mm -hmm. emotionally at least. Yeah. And really probably other ways, but it also, it's going to end your life faster because when you're hyper vigilant, mm -hmm. you wear out. Mm -hmm. Just, you can't keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. Every personality is different and, um, and yeah, and every constitution is different. And, you know, you, you see a lot of uh, hard people, I think, sometimes that 
uh, I wish were less hard on themselves. You know what yeah. I mean? Because uh, sometimes it comes out in other ways. Um, a lot of times in this, you know, working in healthcare, you see it come out physically. Like you can't suppress too much or shove down too much in your life without it, you know, uh, grinding on you in some way. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so next you were uh, into the medical field. Yeah. Oh, wait, first, first though, what years were you in the military? Oh, geez. Or uh, roughly. Just trying to think of what was going on geopolitically. Yeah, 2000 to 2002. I was oh, in. Oh, shit. You yeah. were in the, he like the heat of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was at Fort Polk, uh, Louisiana, when 9-11 happened. Yeah, we were out training uh, for our deployment in Kosovo and uh, peacekeeping deployment, and they pulled us out of the field to watch what just happened. And so that was a big, that was a big deal. That was a big, it still is, mm -hmm. honestly. It never really got resolved. It's still a big deal. Uh, that must have been kind of, I don't know, depending on who you are, exhilarating, scary, uh, stressful in general, mm -hmm. to just to know that, okay, some, I'm getting called up. Things are changing. Yeah. I think that was the biggest part. You know, it was, you knew that pretty soon you were going to be, you know, deployed in some capacity, especially in the, you know, units we were at. So, yeah. So yeah, there was some uh, anxiousness probably that came from that. Uh, we were already slated to go somewhere, so uh, you know we weren't necessarily probably the first unit that would have been uh, boots on the ground as far as where they chose for us to deploy. Um, but we were in a deployable, you know, battalion and and definitely division. And so um, if stuff was going to happen, we were going to be involved, and we knew that. So um, one last question about the military: what? What did your dad think? Uh, my dad passed away while I was in basic training or, you know, sometime around the time that I was in. And I hadn't talked to him in a lot of, in a lot of years, so I don't know what he would have thought. Yeah. Yeah, he, he passed away early. You know, he lived hard. He lived his life the way he wanted to. And, uh, and he, uh, you know, he left probably earlier than I think he probably could have, you know, if he would have taken a little bit better care of himself. But yeah, the that, Vietnam vets had a lot of uh, baggage to carry. Mm. A lot of those guys were very tormented. Yeah. Yeah, he was very good at hiding it, but occasionally it would come out. You know, you mentioned that in one of your podcasts too. There's, you know, this rage thing that happens with uh, people that have seen that kind of um, extreme um, conditions, you know, like really extreme mm. uh, emotionally and, and physically and all the, all the above. And uh, when I saw that part of him, you know, I didn't envy him, you know, at all. Like he, he did carry his, his scars with him everywhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, PTSD is a strange, strange uh, condition. I, I don't even, wouldn't even call it a disorder. It's a, it seems like a reasonable reaction to a real threat, mm -hmm. but it's the way it exhibits itself is very odd to me. The fact that like, especially with soldiers and police and firemen, the fact that they don't have emotional responses to those things in the heat of the moment like mm -hmm. when the trauma is actually occurring they're usually they're in go cool mode as a cool yeah. as a cucumber yeah and then but when they're back home years later and a car backfires and they're like at a picnic with their kids they start crying or mm -hmm. like something they'll have an inappropriate emotional response to that mm -hmm. and it's it's almost as if their soul needed to be able to do that and because they weren't able to during the actual traumatic event it just 
got put on the back burner and and then it's never fully processed and mm-hmm. it just kind of simmers back there and then these these little kind of like pseudo events will provoke some kind of a reaction but it's yeah. it's not a, the full processing that it's required to get rid of it it's it's interesting yeah just the response that we have to things like that yeah forces a release you know and uh you know, I don't know what it takes to heal some of that. You know, some some people have seen stuff that, um, you know, they definitely never want to share with others. And I, and I can imagine why. And, um, you know, after working in healthcare and seeing a lot of the suffering over years and years of people that aren't necessarily like my bro, right? Like the guy next to me that I've just been training with for years and years and I've been drinking with and I've been hanging out with, you know, and, and then to see that on a very personal, deep level and extreme suffering i imagine in a lot of cases when people are hurt and killed you know i i can't imagine i can't imagine it's um it's it's a lot it's a lot and uh you have to be pretty hard i think to even be able to shoulder any of that memory for for long periods of time you know yeah and then on top of that you you're back in the states and uh, it's very convoluted of like what you were even doing. The, uh, there's so many different narratives that try to explain what the United States is doing overseas in all the various places. And a lot of them are very anti-United States. Yeah. And that must feel like shit for people who are just like, I just risked my life. I was just doing what I was told. Especially if on top of that, they were doing things that they don't feel great about. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a, a really heavy burden to carry. I value, I value the troops, support the troops. Yeah, absolutely. I feel bad for them, honestly, for, I'd say, 99% of the time mm-hmm. because they don't have any say in what, really what's going on. And the people at the very top are like the worst type of example of what you were just saying. Like they're, they're, they have bloodlust mm-hmm. and it's just money driven at the very top. They're not usually even wearing military gear. They're wearing suits, mm-hmm. but they're the ones sending the young boys out to get killed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, a lot of those people at the top, probably, I imagine all of them to some degree had to sludge their way up to it. And so, I mean, they're, I think a lot of them carry a, a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to, I can't think at that level because I just never, you know, I never it's worked that hard. It. It's, it's very frustrating. I try and all I find is dead ends and confusion. It, yeah. And really conspiracies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you eventually stumble on if you look hard enough at the, and try to go high enough to the top. Like the president and above, who the hell knows? Like right. the, all of the stuff people say about the, you know, the globalists, the new world order and all that stuff. It's probably true. Mm-hmm. But there's no way of, of being able to, to like say with any level of certainty because there's no authority figure to tell us. Mm. Like no one's no one is going to come on the news and be like, Yes, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, they do have this grand plan. By the way, Klaus Schwab, why'd you pull out of Davos? Mm. Like, he just didn't go in mm. this big meeting. I don't know. Seems fishy. Hmm. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I digress. Yeah. I mean, it's just not as black and white as it. Not I, at all. You yeah. know, the history of, I think, our our military. And I don't know much about it. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm tact or any of that stuff i, I think we're learning new it. stuff all the time about mm-hmm. the not just the history of the military but our whole country and like i think that there's a lot more to our history than than we actually uh talk about or are aware of even yeah. um, some really cool stuff too like the all the kind of more out there theories about 
um, pre-Columbian, pre-Columbus history, like mm. in the Americas, like big civilizations, mm. massive civilizations that were wiped out like uh, 12,000 years ago. Oh, wow. By a big extinction event. Mm -hmm. That's cool. There's a lot of evidence for that too, especially when you look in the Amazon and things like that, mm -hmm. where they're seeing these huge cities that are now just overgrown jungles. Yeah. The Amazon itself is a is a garden that's an overgrown garden. It's mostly made of edible edible plants. Mm -hmm. It has very few toxic plants and a lot of edible plants. The ratios are so skewed in that direction that people are like, this has to be a garden. This was planted this way. Hmm. It's pretty cool. Pretty yeah, cool. it's definitely got the climate for it. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, a lot of our modern day medicines that came from places like that, you know, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of hidden treasures in those areas and uh not hidden for long we're cutting down all the trees we'll find them <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately yeah. um we got to plant the palm somewhere yeah we need all that palm oil mm. it's like thousands of acres of palm down there that used to be amazon jungle like 20 years ago yeah. it, that shit scares me the the fact that they cut down the amazon yeah that's a, i mean that just kind of speaks to this whole global um crisis that i think uh, uh, you know, a lot of people either are aware of or should be, you know, we are very much symbiotic with our planet. And, um, you know, the more that we think that we know better and can control it, the bigger trouble we're going to get ourselves into. And, um, you know, we're not separate. No, we're, just, we're all, we are nature. Yeah. You know, a lot of what is around us that, you know, we breathe what these plants put out, we breathe what these trees put out, like they are part of us. And they literally. breathe what we put out. Yeah. They sequester carbon, right? Just like, we just trade. Yeah. It's a very good relationship. We got to keep that going. Yeah. And, and show it the respect I think it deserves. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, kind of... Uh, we could talk about the way the world's ending more because I, I <laughs> lately I've been on that. But I want to hear more about your transition into the medical field first. Okay. Um, yeah. So, okay. We're, uh, let's see. Where well, was you I you just left the military and now uh, you're on to your next thing. Okay. So, yeah. I uh, started out as 20 years ago today, started out as a caregiver. Yeah. I licensed up, uh, you know, it was a small like weekend class or something to just see if I could uh, handle it. You know, I kind of wanted to test the waters and see if my personality was a match for that. And uh, I started uh, working at an adult foster home after I was certified through Providence, I think Providence Hospital out in Southern Oregon. And uh, I worked there and it was it was different. Yeah, it was very, very uh, new experience and definitely isn't something that I've had any, you know, real exposure to before. Um, and, uh, I worked there a few months and I was like, you know, I think I could do this. And so I applied for my, um, uh, certified nursing aid program that they had held there locally and thought I would, you know, take the next rung of the ladder. And I got into that. Uh, I graduated that program. It was a couple months, I think, um, full time school and then uh, a national certification and then i ended up working in a hospital yeah at rogue valley community or uh let's see rogue valley medical center rogue valley community college was the college i went to after 
and now it's Rogue Regional Medical Center. I think mm. they've renamed it, rebranded it a little bit. Um, Must be down by the Rogue River. Mm, yeah, out in Medford. Okay. And uh, I worked on the orthopedic neuroscience floor. It was my home floor uh, there. It was a lot of uh, stroke patients. It was a lot of, uh, um, you know, back surgeries, knee surgeries, hip surgeries, things like that. Um, some, you know, a lot of post-op stuff. And we were a sister unit to the joint replacement unit. So we got a lot of that overflow if it was at the end of the week kind of thing. They were a five-day-a-week uh, floor versus, you know, 24-7. And then, you know, you float around to all the different med surge and uh, oncology and uh, your major cardiac floors and post-op and stuff. And so, yeah, I got a chance to taste it in a very um, real sense, you know, outside of just, you know, somebody's home. And uh, I guess it, you know, kind of fueled a little bit of the bug. And I thought I could, you know, definitely be a nurse and eventually started working towards my nursing degree. And so um, I eventually got into the LPM program. I remember I was trying to get into the RM program and I was, there's two classes I was short on and I couldn't get them in time. I couldn't get them done in time for that. Like it was a, is a yearly application process, very um, competitive. And there was a LPM program that was, uh, you know, biannual. And so I could apply for that without having to wait a whole nother year. And so I jumped into that one because there was a transition program in that school in Rogue Community College. And then I was like, oh, I'll just get into the LPN and I'll finish those two classes up and then I can transition into the RN. And then, so I got into that and, um, and then shut down that transition program. Like, oh, bummer. The, yeah, the year I got in. And so I ended up staying in LPN for a while and just kind of working um in healthcare and what's lot, lpn lpn is a licensed practical nurse oh, okay you know as, kinda, or low as paid opposed nurse. to a registered nurse yeah it's just lower paying is that it <laughs> in a lot of ways yeah i mean your scope of practice is, is a bit different too um so yeah and then i worked as an lpn most of my career after that you know i i, I looked into rm programs after and then eventually you know it got so strict that a lot of my um college would expire you know science is always moving yeah. forward and they always wanted updated credentials and so you know in order to get into um an rm program or a transition program after a while became difficult because i have to retake a lot of classes and i i already paid thousands of dollars to take those classes and i was like really hesitant to like retake them all you know? yeah that doesn't feel good yeah yeah especially when you've been working in the environment like it's not like I've been doing some other career, you know yeah. what I mean? It was you don't need like, to relearn it, you know. You just need the credit. Yeah, yeah, and I, I felt a little bit penalized for actually working in in my field, you know. And I, I was always a little bit, um, you know, jaded by that. But you know, it kind of led to me getting into, you know, uh, acupuncture and holistic medicine. So eventually, uh, about six years ago, I think. Um. I started looking at alternative medicine. Yeah. And uh, that's after working in, uh, you know, long-term care and Alzheimer's dementia and hospice care and respite care and, uh, you know, hospital overflow and uh, rehab and all that kind of stuff and some home care too, actually, later on. And 
So I got a chance to work in a lot of those different arenas and, and see what healthcare is all about in, in a variety of settings. And uh, it led me to holistic medicine. Yeah. What was the motivating factor or factors? For, for the switch? Yeah. Were you seeing holes in the system or, or did you just get bored? What was the, what motivated you to switch over? Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of different actually, um, impulses came my way for that. I'd say the biggest one, you know, is, is definitely holes. Like there's, there's a lot of big holes that need looking at. And, um, I felt like, um, there were people that wanted options that didn't have them. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? There was people that just weren't responding to your traditional treatments and that um, they didn't vary those treatments enough to, to deal with those people in, in a productive way. Their interventions just weren't working. And so, um, and I felt like those people should have more options, you know? That problem seems to have gotten worse since this time. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, you know, um, it, there's more illegal things than there were then like the, the FDA has cracked down on homeopathic treatments. Really? Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. All kinds like the internet censorship on natural types of medicine uh -huh. is very heavy. Is it? I wanted to make sure and do my due diligence on this claim because I wasn't completely positive when I said it. And here's what I found on FDA.gov. On December 6th, 2022, FDA issued a final guidance, homeopathic drug products, that describes the agency's approach to prioritizing regulatory actions for homeopathic products posing the greatest risk to patients. The FDA is prioritizing specific categories of drugs, such as those intended for populations at greater risk for adverse reactions. There are currently no FDA-approved products labeled as homeopathic and the agency cannot ensure these drugs meet standards for safety, effectiveness, and quality. Previously, the FDA warned the public about homeopathic products, including those containing a toxic substance and ones recalled due to contamination. So, there you have it. They're not necessarily illegal, but they are not regulated by the FDA. They're not approved by the FDA. They do not want people to be encouraged to go out and find alternative ways to be healthy. Yeah. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have my theories. Okay. But um, it's pretty clear that the, the people with, the people pulling the strings, AKA the ones with the money, AKA the pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. they want their money. <laughs> they don't want you to go out and find something in your backyard that can cure your rash when they could sell you a cream that you put on every day for the next nine years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's. Yeah. <laughs> It's, and it will never heal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You see that in nursing a lot, you know, um, repeated interventions that you literally chart and communicate its ineffectiveness and uh, continued prescriptions along the exact same line, like no variation. Yeah. It's like a single play in a playbook. And, and that's pretty intimidating at times or discouraging. Unethical. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's, it seems like bad care and they're, they could do better. It's, mm -hmm. But but that's not what they're in the business of doing either. Mm -hmm. They don't. They only have a very limited amount of time for. I mean, I mean, talking just medically, not necessarily with uh, like long term care type stuff. But mm -hmm. doctors don't have time to do that much. They can't sit there and ask you all these questions about your sleep and your diet and your family history and all. That. I mean, mm -hmm. they do to some extent, but it's pretty limited. It's, yeah. Like when I go in to see you 
that's a three hour appointment. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about how my life is going, like your, your treatments are very targeted and and efficient. It's not like we're lollygagging in there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, uh, it's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it feels much more personalized. Like it actually is meant to make me better, not just meant to, I'm not just checking a box or fulfilling a procedure on a paper somewhere. Yeah. 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 Paper care, you know, uh, paper care is definitely sometimes uh, the precedence to patient care. And that's, that's a hard transition for anybody. I think that's really wants to be connected with their, with their patients or their clients, you know, and I don't blame the doctors and I don't blame the staff, you know, like they're, they're working in a, in a format that was given to them and in order for them to maintain their licensure and in order for them to um, practice at all and be supported and be able to make money at it, you know, and support their families, like they have to work within and pay those. pay their debts. Yeah, and pay their debts, which, oh God, let's not even talk about that. So um, it, it's huge, it's a huge responsibility. And a lot of the time, you know, their hands are tied. You know, there's, there's just like in the military, there's big, you know, big presences up above that make those decisions and, and they set the precedence for what is, is considered, um, you know, standards of care versus, you know, yeah. abstract and, and alternative and fringe, fringe stuff. And most likely the levels that they're thinking on and planning and, and making adjustments to the system is not the same levels that we're thinking on or including the doctors and the patients and everyone in the military. Like, it's just a different, it's a different situation. Mm -hmm. If, if you had to try to think like a hundred years in the future for millions and millions of people and try to come up with the best scenario for everybody, that's a whole different job yeah. than what we're doing. And it's definitely not easy. You have to have a certain personality type to really, yeah. to really see that. And then, and, and to have a workable, you know, um, idea of how, you know, that, that can, that progression can can be managed yeah just you know, to be able to hold that many variables in your mind and still simulate the future forward is pretty hard to do mm -hmm. i can't even do it with my own life i can see like a week in week in advance and then after that it gets blurry yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so many considerations and i i don't envy those people that you know i imagine that's those are real deep thoughts and um they had to learn a lot in order to 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 make those um, those judgments and, and those decisions or, or whatever. I, I think that's being generous. I think a lot of them were born into a rich family and they were handed a bunch of uh, opportunities, some of which they deserved, some of which they didn't. Hmm. Some of them are high-performing people. A lot of them are because mm -hmm. they come from families that that's always been encouraged. But a lot of them didn't, didn't earn it. Hmm. And I, that's, that's me being jaded and, and mm -hmm. being honestly just feeling pretty i'm feeling real cynical lately about the the power structure in our country mm -hmm. because of the last two years just how easy it was for people to just grab the american people by like like a bull by the horns and just tell us exactly what's going to happen mm -hmm. and then we just did it yeah. and it wasn't the best thing for us uh, i don't know what the best thing would have been i just wanted to give a little background this is from an article i read just a little while back it was published last April, but it is still extremely relevant to what's going on today. It is from none other than our benevolent overlords at the World Economic Forum. Here are the bullet points. COVID-19 has widened wealth gaps across the globe. The richest 10% of the world's population now owns 76% of all the wealth. 
Urgent action is needed to support people in poverty and narrow the economic inequality. And stepping up vaccinations and mobilizing aid and debt relief will help developing countries. Of course it will, World Economic Forum. Staying on message. The world is facing a surge in economic inequality accelerated by COVID-19 and exacerbated by the impact of the war in Ukraine. Governments need to initiate urgent change to tackle extreme poverty and narrow the gap between the rich and poor, laying the foundations for a more equal and sustainable future. The numbers reveal the extent of the problem. The richest 10% of the world's population owns 76% of the wealth, while the poorest half owns just a sliver, according to the World Inequality Lab. Global economic inequalities are now as extreme as they were at the peak of Western imperialism in the early 20th century, the Paris-based research group says in a report. The pandemic wiped out years of progress in reducing poverty and caused economic inequality to spike. The world's 10 richest men have doubled their fortunes since the global health emergency began, while the incomes of 99% of humanity are worse off as a result, according to Oxfam. More than 160 million people have also been pushed into poverty, the UK charity estimates. Now, Russia's war in Ukraine is deepening the gloom. Beyond the battlefield, the conflict has upended commodity markets and global supply chains, driving up prices for energy and food. For developing countries that are highly dependent on fuel and food from Russia and Ukraine, the impact of the war will be devastating, according to the International Monetary Fund Managing Director, Kristalina Georgieva. To put it very simply, a war in Ukraine means hunger in Africa, she told Foreign Policy magazine. Even before the war, the recovery of emerging market and developing economies from the pandemic recession was weak, sending inequality between rich and poor countries back to levels last seen a decade earlier, the World Bank says. Ah, the World Bank. Shout out World Bank. Another one of our benevolent overlords. Economic inequality within countries remains particularly high in developing regions, which are home to about two-thirds of the world's extreme poor according to the bank's Global Economic Prospects report. The war has made this difficult situation worse, and with inflation soaring and developing countries already saddled with a trillion dollars of debt, the UN body says an economic rescue effort with the scale and ambition of the Marshall Plan in the aftermath of World War II could be needed to keep poor and even middle-income countries from going under. Well, that sucks. I don't know what the best thing would have been. I don't know how deep all of that goes, but it's, I'm pissed off and I'm exhausted by the fact that it's just an endless stream of bullshit from those people. who They just say exactly what they need to say to get the, the press off of their back mm -hmm. and then they go on with their fucking corrupt bullshit. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a difficult area to even talk about. Like I've been learning a little bit about the political structure um, at the port. I work at the Port of Peninsula too, a couple of days a week, which I really enjoy. And, uh, you know, um, my boss there is, you know, comes from a political background. So I've learned a lot about, you know, the kind of thought processes that go, that are involved with some of the interactions that happen there and uh you know it just uh it blows my mind some of the stuff that 
is is happening and how it happens and 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 the decisions and stuff i mean a lot of it is just so much consideration that i it makes my my brain explode to think yeah. about all the different things you have to think about and all the different litigation that's involved and all the different licensing and coordination of of agencies and you know it's just it's definitely a, a difficult thing i think though you know people that are born into it i just can't imagine them without having some amount of passion ever being super successful with it. Like, I feel like the people that really have passion about it, you know, it always shows. And I think the people will gravitate towards that energy. Yeah. So much more than people that are just kind of like, I'm doing this because I was born into it and somebody You're forced right. it on You're me. You're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, a great example of that is Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. Bill Gates is a silver, silver spoon kid. Mm -hmm. Like he, the reason that he was able to be one of the brightest minds in computing at that time in the late seventies is because at 16 years old, he had access to a computing system that the top people in the world didn't have access to because mm. he went to a private school and the PTA like got together the money and they bought this computer for their school. Mm. And um, so he had access to, and it was one of those card machines where it's like the uh, punch cards. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I read uh, this book called Outliers. It's a Malcolm Gladwell book. And he talks about these these types of people who it's like the outliers are the ones who not only were they born with the opportunities, but they also had that passion mm -hmm. and they also had that charisma and they just had all of the right conditions to just make this happen. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what, what you're kind of referencing there is, is that like it takes both. We are trying a new feature on Ramble by the River this week. Thanks to OpenAI, we will be rolling out fact-checking powered by ChatGPT. The chatbot has listened to the preceding section of the podcast and has been instructed to identify any claims made by the speakers and to fact check those claims. Here is the result. The following claims were made in the transcript. 1. Bill Gates was a silver spoon kid. 2. Gates had access to a computing system at age 16 that the top people in the world didn't have access to. 3. Gates went to a private school where the PTA bought a computer for the school. 4. Gates had access to a card machine with punch cards. 5. The book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell discusses people born with a silver spoon who also have passion. Fact check. 1. Bill Gates was born into a wealthy family, but it is a subjective claim to say that he was a silver spoon kid. 2. It is true that Bill Gates had access to a computer at a young age and that this exposure helped him develop his skills in computing. However, the claim that the top people in the world didn't have access to a computing system at that time is not accurate. Computers were becoming increasingly available in the late 1970s. 3. Gates did attend a private school, but there is no evidence to support the claim that the PTA bought a computer for the school. 4. Gates did have access to computers that used punch cards, which was a common input method at that time. 5. The book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell does discuss people who have a combination of opportunities and passion, but it is not limited to those born with a silver spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to capitalize on your opportunities and you have to have the skill sets to be able to capitalize on it. And I don't think you can do any of that without some kind of passion for for what you're doing. And Elon I think Musk that, is another one. Yeah, I totally. think his parents own like a diamond mine or something. <laughs> I don't know, but... I'm not I sure what they do. Yeah, he's going to be a name that we're going to remember for a long time, you know, yeah. with the stuff that he's into. I remember you were talking, uh, I went back a couple podcasts before I came out here and you were talking about Neuralinking, you know, the, yeah. the, uh, that technology and stuff uh, where you were like, we're not even going to, you know, use keyboards anymore. And uh, I remember seeing... Uh, some kind of reference about Elon, you know, endorsing the Neuralink, you know, um, company or, or. Oh, it was all uh, his idea. Yeah. Like that's his company. Yeah. <laughs> he has a ton of companies. He's, yeah. He's an interesting character just mm. in society right now. There's 
uh, so much about them that's interesting. But the Neuralink is one of them <laughs> for sure. The the fact that he started a whole company and dug a tunnel under L.A. <laughs> and the whole reason that they did that was to discourage them from putting in light rail, huh. like high speed rail. Why? Uh, because they want to sell more Teslas. Oh, okay. I think, as my guess. Hold up. DJ, run that shit back. Chat GPT, you know what to do. The following claims were made in the transcript. 1. Elon Musk's parents own a diamond mine. 2. Elon Musk is a name that will be remembered for a long time. 3. Neuralink is a technology that will replace the use of keyboards. 4. Elon Musk is the founder of Neuralink. 5. Elon Musk has many companies. 6. Elon Musk started a company and dug a tunnel under Los Angeles. 7. The reason for digging the tunnel under Los Angeles was to discourage high-speed rail and sell more Teslas. Fact check. 1. It is not confirmed that Elon Musk's parents own a diamond mine. Elon Musk was born in South Africa in 1971 to a Canadian mother and a South African father. Elon's father was an electromechanical engineer and property developer, and his mother was a model and dietitian. Elon's family was not wealthy, and he had to work hard from a young age to support himself. 2. Elon Musk has had a significant impact on various industries, and he is known for his ambitious goals, but it is impossible to predict the future and say if he will be remembered for a long time. 3. Neuralink is a company that is developing brain-computer interfaces, but it is too soon to say if they will replace the use of keyboards. 4. It is true that Elon Musk is one of the co-founders of Neuralink. 5. Elon Musk is the CEO of several companies, including Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and The Boring Company. 6. It is true that The Boring Company, one of Elon Musk's companies, has dug a tunnel under Los Angeles. 7. The reason for digging the tunnel under Los Angeles by The Boring Company is to reduce traffic congestion and not specifically to discourage high-speed rail or sell more Teslas, although Elon Musk is the CEO of both Tesla and The Boring Company. Some may argue that Elon's conflicts of interest pose a risk to objective decision-making in his companies and may benefit him personally. Well, you were saying too, uh, you know, California just put in the, uh, you know, um, whatever the, the lawmaking is to, you know, outlaw uh, carbon engines, you know, or, or well, combustible engines. That engine. doesn't include outboard motors because yeah. They just need boats now. That fucking whole place is underwater. Mm. Have you looked at that? Have you seen California this week? Uh, no, I haven't. I just heard about the, it's like the big hundreds storms. of square miles underwater. Mm. It's crazy. It's mm. basically from like I don't even know San Francisco to uh, pretty far down, pretty far down, somewhere in the Central Valley or below. Wow, it's crazy. There's a lot of property damage. I'm I'm worried about the food situation with that that's a lot of farm country yeah. like they grow a large amount of food for our country yeah probably exports too yeah yeah california just gets hit so much like you know if it isn't wildfires it's freaking flooding like how much more yeah. can that state take like it's a hot spot on the planet like there's a lot like you talk about energy a lot california is a high energy place mm -hmm. you feel it when you're there mm -hmm. it's it's just people are talking about it every day you hear people talking about california mm -hmm. new york is another one there's it's no i don't know i just i do think there's something to that like uh energy of cities mm -hmm. especially really big powerful cities that have deep rich histories mm -hmm. i think that they have uh it's almost like an energetic memory like yeah. they, they hold power some kind of nexus you know mm -hmm. it's just like so much is drawn to that place and i'm not sure why it's yeah. it couldn't just be the weather like which is nice yeah, there's probably something deeper involved mm -hmm. with that, you know, and, and, you know, considering I lived in California for a little while and, you know, it's kind of an unstable place. Like there's earthquakes all the damn time. And, 
you know um you know it's a nice beach but there's a lot of nice beaches out there you know and so there's something that draws people there i'm not sure what it is yeah everything's expensive it Mm -hmm. takes forever to get anywhere there's (laughs) there's a lot of things to complain about (laughs) but it's still like when you're there it's like it feels good to be there Mm -hmm. i like being down there it's a cool place. It's beautiful too. The Redwood mm-hmm. Forest. And, oh, that's oh, my favorite place. Oh God, you know, and a lot of variety too. You can get, you know, desertish, yeah, um, areas as well, and and everything in between. You know, it's yeah. California is very cool. If if they uh, got rid of half of the people, it would be more tolerable. It's just overwhelming mm-hmm. for me to be around that many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't like it, especially the fact that. A lot of them are homeless and unpredictable. You mm-hmm. don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. That, yeah. that is, I mean, I'm s- sort of joking, but it's, it is honestly true. Um, you walk down the street in a lot of Californian cities and they're lined with tents and human feces. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a bummer. You know, that's a part of, yeah, this, this uh, chapter in our culture, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. Like I grew up when I grew up in, you know, grade school and that, I didn't see any of that. I don't remember any of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't remember homeless ever, you know, um, and now every city, you know, really, I mean, even places you wouldn't think like, you know. Yeah, uh, there'd be like a homeless guy. mm -hmm. Like there's, oh, there's the homeless guy and he would like live in the city and wear a helmet and people know the homeless guy. But Mm -hmm. now it is like, they're everywhere. There's a lot of people and and they're, it feels weird to talk about them as if they're like some subspecies of, because they're not, they're just people, but mm-hmm. so many of them are struggling with mental health and yeah. addiction problems mm-hmm. and just in general, overall health. They look like zombies sometimes. Like mm-hmm. this, when they're, if there's a person who's on methamphetamines, hasn't eaten and slept for days, mm-hmm. they're terrifying to look at. Mm-hmm. And that is the case on a lot of these streets where it's like, it's scary. It it's scary, be scary to walk around. Yeah, it can be real scary. But I also know. feel for them. Yeah, like, yeah, because it's I don't know. I, I I have a soft spot for the homeless just because um, I, I I don't know. It's just like my first year out of call out of high school. I went down to Humboldt County, California, and mm-hmm. I lived there for a year with with my buddies. And while I was going to college, they lived in like Redwood Park and mm-hmm. just amongst the homeless community, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was cool. They like cuz it was young people. Mm-hmm. It, it Arcade California. It was it was just like a hippie mecca. Mm-hmm. And but it was mostly young people. So it was people around our age and it that's a different totally different vibe. It was like travelers. Mm-hmm. Like they were just like us but dirtier mm-hmm. and they had way more weed. Mm-hmm. And um <laughs> but other than that, that was it. It wasn't like people in their late stages of life who like visibly need help yeah and that makes you feel scared it's like this is this not a safe situation that mm-hmm. this i don't like it yeah things have just changed yeah i mean it, it definitely feels uh sometimes volatile to be around uh some of those personalities there is a lot in uh denver be before i left to come here and um that was you know i've heard stuff about portland seattle and and i'm sure all the major cities but Denver was the one I had personal experience with. And uh, yeah, there was times where, you know, you see people lashing out. You see yeah. people like yelling and starting fights. And um, I saw a video the other day of a homeless lady push a toddler in front of a train. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's unreal. Some of the... They got her out before the train hit her. But it was like, they were a bunch of people sitting on the ground. This mom and a little girl, probably three or four years old, uh-huh. walking down the sidewalk alongside the train tracks. Yeah. And this homeless wow. lady just like 
leaned up and just boom pushed the little girl and oh, she geez. fell off the sidewalk onto the tracks and then the mom grabbed her pulled her back up before yeah it was too late but that's crazy you know terrifying. it's it's uh it's definitely different i mean you know and, the, and of course they're not all like that you know no, no and there's you know something i try to remind myself you know at this place in my life is that you know there's a lot of wisdom to take in from from people in those conditions and and you know you can get it out of them yeah yeah there's an interface issue though when it's when it's drugs and mental illness mm -hmm. it's it's really hard to pull the wisdom yeah well and it's right in your face and like that's i think the biggest messaging right now is like it's right in your face now you can't yeah. shove it to the side like you probably could before downplay it like you could before which is good yeah because we'll have to do something we're forced to deal with it yeah you know and that's um that's an important message i think that needs to come across it's unfortunate how it has to happen for us to like pay attention sometimes but um it's very, i don't know how to solve that problem mm -mm. even if i had an endless amount of money i don't know that i could solve it mm -hmm. how do you fix that the, these people are are a lot of them unwilling to receive help yeah and yeah. also unwilling to find a bathroom that's not a sidewalk mm -hmm. so it's like how do you help that person yeah yeah for some it's a preferred lifestyle yeah. you know it, and they've had some people have had opportunities to leave it and they don't yeah i don't know you know that's a that's a big question i mean it really to me it rings of other bigger problems you know like um you know some of the housing issues and things where it's just it's it's unreasonable um you know how costly it can be to survive you know in, in yeah. contemporary culture and it's gotten crazy yeah it has hit hyper speed too mm -hmm. the, just the, the rate of change mm -hmm. look at stuff five years ago mm -hmm. if you go to a grocery store five years ago and then look at the prices today mm -hmm. it's probably three times more yeah like they say they say inflation is i don't know what like 10 percent or something mm -hmm. Groceries, not 150 percent <laughs> yeah groceries are more than double the price they were pre-pandemic mm -hmm. more than double mm -hmm. it's um yeah I don't know where they're getting their numbers from, but it's, it seems way more than 10% to me. Yeah. You feel it. Yeah. You feel it. You know? Yeah. It's 50 bucks to walk out with groceries or to walk out with vegetable groceries. You yeah. know oh, what I mean? Fresh ones. Yeah. yeah. You're talking rotable. Mm -hmm. I get canned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a different dynamic. And then also, you know, like you're talking about the mental health, like there is a lot of mental health that goes on a lot of mental health issues that go on in our culture that i mean it's really it's becoming you know front stage um concern right oh yeah I mean, and if it hasn't it should be because like you see uh you know and when you start learning about holistic medicine all that stuff's intertwined and a lot of times one of the things i noticed in nursing as well is that some people you can fix all their problems and they will still have a new problem next week you know what i mean and that really rings yeah. of something deeper and it's more common than not yeah really People get like people seek the familiar, and if your life has been a nightmare, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's what you're used to. And even though it is horrible for you, you'll seek it out. Yeah, unless you are aware of it and and know to like how to break those patterns, which mm -hmm. takes actual work and intervention. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy, and it doesn't just happen. A lot of people will resist that, mm -hmm. and it's because they've been hurt. Like the the world has has screwed them over more times than they're willing to uh, like to accept and they don't want to have it happen again. So they're just like, yeah, no, you can keep your free apartment. I'll stay right here in my shack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 There's not a whole lot of options. And then the options to, 
you know, what are the options? You know, like, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of times it's uh, medication and, and counseling and counseling's financially prohibitive to some degree. Like some of these people need more than what can be provided to them, you know, and a lot of us, period, I think, you know, it's uh, if if uh, if we do need that stuff, sometimes it is such a huge cost to us that we we have a tendency not to seek out help, you know, yeah. and that's, um, and that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the way set, you know, that the, that our culture is set up that way, but also, you know, we all got to make a living too. And there's, yeah. you know, like I said, there's a lot of, uh, financial precedents for us. The mental so. health system is set up a lot like the regular medical system though. It's, it's like in response to events, mm -hmm. it's not preventative. It's yeah. not about maintenance. Even now in 2023, I think if you tell people that you're getting ready to start therapy, they want to know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. They're not, they don't think of it as like, oh, wow, look at that proactive motherfucker going mm -hmm. to make sure he's going to stay okay. Yeah. They're thinking, ooh, something's up. That's an interesting insight. And there is a stigma to it, I think. that It's gone down know. a lot. Mm -hmm. It used to be way stronger, but mm -hmm. it's still there. Yeah. Still there a little bit. I think we're coming around on that. Like um, um, one of your podcasts, I think maybe with Brooke, maybe you're talking about that. You know, uh, you know, therapy... <sighs> is needed in a lot of cases and really it's it's just not necessarily because there's a problem but you know to prevent problems like you're saying you know it's um there's certain patterns that we all kind of can fall into and we we figured them out we mm -hmm. know what to do when you do that so why not just share the information yeah. it, it that's what therapy is it's just sharing tricks on like how to run this thing that we're doing like this human experience we didn't come with an owner's manual mm -hmm. like therapy is just teaching people tricks that they should already know mm -hmm. but they nobody ever told them yeah yeah it's not uh it's not a common um I, you know dinner table subject you yeah. know and uh i don't even get why it's not it's not a a personal flaw to like have a curiosity about the way you function emotionally mm -hmm. it's not a downside of of being it's I see that as a major plus. If I if I'm talking to a person who's like self-aware and emotionally intelligent, I feel much safer mm -hmm. than if I'm talking to a person who I can tell is running on impulse and programming, mm -hmm. which is most people. Yeah. Yeah, uh well, yeah, I mean Yeah, it's just uh it's a big it's a big topic and I'm glad that there's I'm glad we're seeing changes to that. I hope that you know, it becomes a little bit more accessible. I hope that that stigma still softens over mm -hmm. time and that it becomes a little bit less um, taboo, you know, yeah. to some degree. Like, and I don't say that like, oh, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to seek out therapy because, you know, I don't want to be labeled or whatever. It's just... You know, I think when you start to talk about therapy, at least my impulse is like, yeah, like you were saying, there's there's something wrong, and now I need to be it gets wary heavy. of you, yeah, yeah, because I don't know what's going on with with why you need to seek therapy, and you know, it's it's less about just your it's it's less about everyday hygiene, right? Yeah, and, um, and it should be more about everyday hygiene, you know, and, yeah, and I think we would be in a lot less of uh, of. Uh, problems if we it's have maintenance work yeah it's like exercise mm -hmm. i mean you can do it yourself you don't need to go see a therapist if you're if you're self-trained that's fine mm -hmm. but like if you have a meditation practice or if you understand like the connection between going outside and how it affects you emotionally mm -hmm. or just any kind of trick that works for you to keep yourself healthy and, and mentally fit 
then it, then it works. But if you don't have any of those tools and you're unhappy and you don't know how to fix it, that's when therapy is great because mm-hmm. they will give you those tools. Mm-hmm. And let you know you're not alone with that too. Like yeah. I think sometimes um, people are probably afraid to, to really share some of that stuff thinking that, you know, this is kind of like a weird thing and I, and not everybody experiences it. But the more I hear people talking, especially, you know, one of the podcasts, you know, your podcast with Brooke, you know, some of those uh, impulses that you think might be alien really aren't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There, A lot of people struggle with it. And, you know, knowing that I think sometimes is, is super helpful. And I it, it encourages me to consider, um, you know, therapy for, for just, you know, emotional hygiene, mm-hmm. you know, rather than. The labeling, labeling is a big deal. And this is one of the things I've seen in healthcare that I don't like. One of the holes is that, um, you know, a lot of times your medical history will stay with you your entire life. And, and I don't, I've seen biases, you know, literally um, be expressed from reading somebody's medical history that didn't need to be there. You know what I mean? And it was, you know, medical history for somebody is like 20 years ago. And like, are you going to be the same person that you were 20 years ago? Nobody is, right? And so like treating somebody as if they have, uh, you know, this diagnosis from 20 years ago, as if it's still a modern day issue is really um, is unfortunate. It says here you were diagnosed with homosexuality in 1984. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or depression or, you know, schizophrenic, whatever. Did you know that homosexuality was considered a mental disorder at one point? ChatGPT put together a concise summary of the history of the classification of homosexuality to shed some light on the topic, and hopefully make Jeff's joke more relevant and possibly even funny. The study and classification of homosexuality has been a topic of great intrigue and controversy throughout history. Ancient cultures, such as those in Greece and Rome, often viewed homosexuality as a natural aspect of human sexuality, but this attitude was not universal. In more recent times, contemporary science has attempted to categorize and understand homosexuality, leading to various classifications and diagnoses in the DSM, the manual used by mental health professionals. However, the DSM has undergone numerous revisions, reflecting shifting attitudes and understanding of homosexuality. Early iterations of the DSM classified homosexuality as a mental disorder, leading to a great deal of stigma and discrimination towards individuals who identified as gay or lesbian. The DSM-2, published in 1968, listed homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance, which only served to further stigmatize and marginalize individuals who identified as homosexual. It was not until the DSM-3 in 1980 that homosexuality was officially removed as a mental disorder, reflecting growing understanding and acceptance of homosexuality within society and the medical community. However, the classification and understanding of homosexuality remains a subject of ongoing debate and research within the field of abnormal psychology, particularly with regards to issues of gender and sexuality. Despite the strides made in recent years, the legacy of past classifications and stigmatization continues to impact the LGBTQ community, underscoring the importance of continued education and advocacy for the rights of all individuals, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. The latest version of the DSM The DSM-5, published in 2013, recognizes gender dysphoria as a diagnosis, but approaches the diagnosis with a gender-affirmative and non-pathologizing perspective. It is clear that our understanding and classification of homosexuality has evolved greatly over time, but there is still much work to be done to ensure that all individuals, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, are treated with dignity and respect.
you know, uh, breakdown and as if you're not able to heal and overcome any of it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and sometimes that's the issue of the practitioner that's reading it and, and they're biased too, but also, you know, it's this, this permanent labeling that happens sometimes in, in healthcare with people's medical records that I don't always agree with because, you know, we learn in, in, you know, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture that, you know, it's weather in our lives, it's weather and it changes all the time. And, and no, you know, there's no storm system that's gonna be in place forever in any place on the planet. So why would we, yeah. you know, consider somebody, you know, to be that, um, that same? Yeah, the blue sky's still there. The storm's just covering it up, it'll pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like the impermanence of how we look at health in, uh, in this, particular facet of medicine. That makes also a lot more sense with mental health because so much of that diagnostic process is qualitative. Mm -hmm. It's an opinion. Mm -hmm. It's it's a judgment on a Likert scale. It's like, oh, they they seem a six anxious today. Mm -hmm. That's that's their opinion. And it, and it goes down as fact. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, it has to be that way because the AIs aren't good enough yet, but they will be soon. Mm -hmm. And that will yeah, be yeah. one of the many jobs that <laughs> will disappear. Yeah. The, yeah. I swear to God, those the AIs are increasing so fast that they will be able to tell me, me personally, not everybody. I don't know who, I don't know your life, but the my own interpretation is that ten years from now, I will trust the AI more than my own emotions. Hmm. I don't bar I barely trust my emotions now. Mm. Um, they've led me astray before. Mm. Uh, but All the, of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these AIs are just just blowing me away. Yeah, I can't even get over it. That being said. I enjoyed your song with Ed. <laughs> <laughs> that AI song. Oh, I'm glad you liked AI it. AI driven song. That was great. I that thought was, that was really fun. That was really fun to hear. I think I replayed that like three, four times. To right like, on. To like listen to it. Yeah. And hearing him get into it at the end was pretty cool. <laughs> I, was just like, <laughs> I haven't been able to, uh, I haven't brought it up to him since then. I see him a lot and uh, he hasn't mentioned it. Uh, I don't even know if he's heard it or what, but I don't even... <laughs> I don't even know if he knows how to access them. I, I, I told him, but usually I help him with cell phone stuff, but I don't mm -hmm. want to be like, listen to the podcast, listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm just letting him do it. But um, I'm super curious to know if he's heard the song or not or whatever. Yeah. I tried to make it, I tried really hard to make that uh, with the the amount of editing the, the vocals that I did. I tried to make it clear that it was a, a joke mm -hmm. but also still sound kind of good yeah like, it like, sounded great <laughs> <laughs> i want like and i felt like i got it pretty close to where i wanted it like ed's voice i don't know if i'm sure you probably knew this already but that was my voice also mm -hmm. with yeah and um i I, don't know, I thought it was funny i thought it was funny but I, i'm curious to know what ed thought about it <laughs> it was really good it was a good spin on the subject matter you know what i mean uh -huh. like turning it into something you know uh with color and, mm -hmm. and, and vibrance and, and fun. And so, and it is a serious subject matter, you know, how, how much is AI, you know, everybody's yeah. seen Terminator, right? Like that's, yeah. that was, uh, you know, that was, uh, an apocalyptic, um, idea that came from AI taking that's over. Such you know? a great premise mm -hmm. for a story that mm -hmm. because of the time travel element, the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, we got to kill this threat before it becomes a threat. Yeah. 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 Yeah, interesting. I like some of the subject matter you bring up. Like you, you know, you're really um, forward about talking about hard to talk about subjects. You know, mm -hmm. or or 
uh, subjects that people are uncomfortable talking about maybe. Yeah. So I like that. You I know. don't know where that exactly comes from, but I, I love it. Mm -hmm. I, like I, I really enjoy it. I think it's probably the ADHD, mm -hmm. honestly, because I get bored super easily. Mm -hmm. And um, I live in the past and the future a lot. Mm -hmm. So I, I spend a lot of time in nostalgia and it, I don't like that feeling. Mm -hmm. the, the past depresses me. Even the happy memories because they're gone mm -hmm. and they're inaccessible now. And it's it's dead it's dead like it's it's gone it's um but the future's full of possibilities and the future is full of potentials and i find that endlessly exhilarating mm -hmm. so i like to think about the the future a lot i don't like to think about the past a lot but i still do it because i'm human and uh i think humans are addicted to feeling mm -hmm. and the past makes you feel mm -hmm. like almost every time you, you go back there you're like oh i feel that no, definitely yeah. Just the other day, I went to my buddy's birthday. He was turning 34, and he's been a good friend of mine since we were in kindergarten. And um, a, a, two of my other good friends, we were all in the same class, all grew up together, mm -hmm. and two of them were there too. And we're all there with our families, and uh, we watched a bunch of movies that we had made together as kids at, in seventh really? and eighth grade. <laughs> wow, wow. And one of our friends had, had the tape still. The guy, he, he's the one who kind of was the ringleader of the movie stuff, Alex Mack, mm -hmm. friend of the show. Mm -hmm. And um, it was so great. It was like, it's it stuck with me for like a whole day after. I was thinking about it a lot, just like seeing the 13-year-old version of myself and knowing what was going on in my life at that time, and which was the worst time of my life. Hmm. And... Um, just knowing I like I, I could get I could jump right from where I was on the couch watching that into his head. Mm -hmm. I, I knew how it felt to be him in that moment. I remembered the way that chair felt that I was sitting in. Hmm. Like I remembered the shirt I was wearing. It felt like it was yesterday wow. and I was the same person. But to to do that exercise and to jump back into that perspective view, looking forward at me now, I'm so much cooler than I feel hmm. like if I could go talk to 14 year old Jeff mm -hmm. and just like hang out for an hour and just bullshit, I would have thought I was the coolest motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> I would have been so excited about the future. Mm -hmm. And that is like, I, I feel like that's a success in my book. That is because when I was him, I would have wanted to be anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I, and I didn't see the future as being, I didn't like who I saw. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I was going to be somebody I didn't didn't like, and and I'm not. I'm somebody I do like. So it it's it's just the the act of traveling through time and space and getting to just bring these memories and just operate in this uh, space time mm -hmm. is a trip. It never it never gets old to me. Just to think about perspective and the changes that you can go through just within your own mind, just by subtle shifts in perspective. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, subtle turns into huge, you know, yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways and stuff. And that's beautiful that you're able to have some kind of reference like that to look back at. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I've never had anything like that, so I, I can't really share any of the um, feeling with about that, but other than pictures maybe. But yeah, I think it, that's... Technology. Yeah. Imagine, so those movies we made in seventh and eighth grade, we had special effects in them, mm -hmm. and it was like, state-of-the-art special effects actually at the yeah. time i think that's <laughs> like when star wars episode one was coming out around mm -hmm. that time okay. so lights we had a lightsaber battle mm -hmm. and it looked really good <laughs> i was like really <laughs> impressed with alex Mack's uh, computer animation work 
Yeah, but um, interesting. Yeah, it was cool. But I, it made me think about that. Imagine how many memories are going to be accessible to this generation of kids. Yeah. Maybe too many. They're not going to be able to even find them. Oh, no, the AI will definitely fix that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, it already has. Some... Like, my phone sends me slideshows of wonderful, beautiful moments with music and everything just without me even asking. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, thank you, phone. Yeah. This is nice. Your memories from last year or whatever. Yeah. Some of that stuff they pull up. They're pretty good. Yeah. But th there's other software that is much better that will do, like, jump cuts and fades and all kinds of different effects and and like analyze your pictures and videos and make it fit to the music and wow. it's just incredible how, how good they can do um i yeah and it's easy you like you load in 20 pictures and videos and tell it what song you'd like or even say hey find a song that will work good with this mm -hmm. and it just does it wow yeah i made a music video uh a tribute a funeral tribute to my dog <laughs> that died a year ago mm. um sorry to hear that yeah it was it was a uh, you know dogs die that's just part of the deal <clears throat> but it was horrible and uh, my daughter was three at the time so just the age that she was it has impacted her a lot and it's become like this kind of emotional lightning rod for any time she's upset mm -hmm. uh, when without being able to attribute it to something specific it will just be she just misses daisy yeah uh, and so this it was becoming kind of a, a not a concern, but she was talking about it a lot, like daily, mm -hmm. and it's been a year. And so um, to deal with that, we just like decided we were gonna write a song about it. We actually wrote a couple songs about it. Wow. And um, sang them and recorded them and made, and then I went way overboard and put in like a whole bunch of time making AI pictures of the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and things like that. Oh, wow, that's wonderful though. Oh, it was fun. I used to pick daisies in the field Beneath the sun's warm rays I'd make a crown and wear it proudly But now those days have gone
it's funny. It was so hard. Keep going. You so do what makes you so I said, Daisy, I would do it. For Daisy, I would pull my dad's underwear down. Because it's gross. Oh, it was fun. Celebration of life, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, basically just said like, hey, I want it to fit this song. And it just did it. Hmm. It's, it was really cool. Like I, I, t- I had to tweak it a little bit where it was kind of a uh, clumsy. But it just, it's getting really good. Things hmm. are going to be, uh, for creatives, things are going to get really fast very soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fabulous. Um, I'm glad that you had access to that, you know, um, and that you had the desire to do it and turn something that is probably a pretty monumental time for her into mm-hmm. something that um, might be a little less painful, you know, yeah. in some way. And that's that's huge. Like, I think that'll be a happy memory. Like yeah. even though it's a it's it's sad subject matter. It's it's not a sad memory. Mm-hmm. Even the death of the dog, like it's it's a sad memory. But I don't know. It, it, I almost like feel like I'm lucky. I get to do this human thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I get to like have these experiences where I feel these deep human feelings, and a lot of them I've heard about for forever, and but never experienced it. And then so when it actually comes, it's like, oh, this is that horrible pain that everyone talks so much about. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel very real. Mm-hmm. And I like that part of it. So it's, it's there's some benefit to it. Yeah, and I like that you're able to transmute it into something else too and not be um, have that pain be a memory of just pain, you know, yeah. and, and to carry that burden with you. And, and, you know, transmuting, I think, difficult situations into something beautiful I think is, is, is really the big lesson and you're teaching her that too. And so you're setting her up for very healthy um, processing in her life when, when other things of, of challenge reach her. And I think that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. And I think we need more of it, you know, and I'm glad that there's platforms that are available to help you do that and be creative about it. But it also comes from somewhere else. You had to want to access that platform. You had to want to put in those pictures. You had to want to change that memory yeah. or alter that memory into something that's balanced versus something that's just ugly, you know? Yeah, definitely. I had it in my head, like the whole time I had the dog because mm. she had this weird habit uh, of, I mean, it's not weird. Most dogs carry sticks, but she would find the biggest sticks she could find mm. like trees. Uh, I'm talking like six, seven feet long, like four or five inches thick. <laughs> what kind of dog was it? Uh, she was a golden retriever, oh, okay. yellow lab mix. Mm-hmm. and um, But she was like 90 pounds. She mm. was a big girl. It had to be. And she was so strong. And she just carried these giant sticks with so much pride. There's actually the pile of sticks um, right outside my fence. As you're driving out of here, look to the right along the wooden fence. Okay. You'll see a giant pile of driftwood. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's like some kind of a landscaping installation. Those are my dog's sticks that she just brought back from the beach mm-hmm. over the five-year period oh wow and it's i mean the pile, pile six of feet high, it's like 20 <laughs> feet long yeah. it's a giant pile of logs <laughs> and oh, wow. um so i have tons of pictures of her with these obscenely large uh mm. beechwood sticks in her mouth and in all different settings and different mm. weather and all kinds of stuff so i was always like taking these pictures and, and like oh my god when this dog croaks i'm gonna have the best slideshow of these sticks mm. so I, I had that in my head and it, it kind of like as a, it'll probably never happen anyway. People don't go to dog funerals. Mm-hmm. Where would I play this slideshow? <laughs> and uh, but so we made the song and then uh, I started doing that and I realized like most of my good pictures of her 
are with her and the kids. Like nobody wants to see a bunch of dogs carrying a stick. Mm -hmm. So I used, you know, the better pictures, but that's where I got the idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Wonderful. You're looking out for that and, yeah. And anticipating it, you know, and, um, like I said, it's just such a healthy way to look at life and, uh, sometimes challenging in that without stuff like that. And so, you know, putting that in place, you know, it's inspiring me to be honest, you know, I mean, you know, any kind of loss is really hard and especially when it's very personal, um, you know, and especially I imagine probably the first time I imagine she's, she's had any kind of real kind of visceral loss. And so, yeah, definitely. Uh, and so that's wonderful it's wonderful to hear yeah. well thank you yeah it was definitely uh her first major loss like that i remember when i had daisy when she was young long before i ever had even a family uh i would i was hoping that she would last long enough to make it to my kids so because mm. i had that when i was a young boy and my sis my older sister and me there was this dog named dandy dog and she was a german shepherd my parents had her uh, when they started having kids, I think. And she didn't make it past, like I was probably four or five when, when I think our neighbors kidnapped her or something, mm -hmm. but, um, kidnapped her dog napped oh. her. I'm sorry. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was one of those weird things. Like she just disappeared. Huh? Who knows? That was regardless of how a dog disappears. You don't necessarily tell the four. Well, that's the worst because then you don't know what happened. Yeah. Right. And yeah, then to you're kind of like really spinning don't know. it in your head. Like what the hell? Yeah. And but I, all these. I wanted to have that for my kid. Like I, I, I didn't, um, yeah, I don't know why I just, uh, the fact of like having a, a, an older dog around when the kid's learning to walk and just that kind of stuff, that just seemed really heartwarming to me. Mm -hmm. And like, I wanted her to have those memories yeah. and it worked out. So I, yeah. It's almost like I could see that future <laughs> and I um, manifested it. Mm -hmm. Do you do you believe in any of that stuff? Manifesting? Do you, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, I've heard uh, some different lectures on stuff like that. Um, I don't know. You know. Um, it's one of those things that doesn't seem like magic to me. Yeah. It just seems like probability. Uh -huh. it, like if you're so manifesting in the terms I'm I'm understanding it you have a, a desired goal state you would like to achieve or to be in and so when you focus on that it's going to align you in your energy and in your attention to toward that goal so you're facing it mm -hmm. <clears throat> rather than when you're working from a point of reactivity and you're trying to avoid the futures that you don't want you're you're facing those still mm -hmm. like because you're looking at this thing i don't want oh i gotta avoid that i gotta avoid that and you don't even know where your target goal actually is because you're just looking at all the things you don't want to hit. But if you ignore all of that stuff and just assume you're going to go where you're trying to go, which is there to that goal state, mm -hmm. then you're going to start moving in that, in that direction. That just makes sense to me. And that's pretty mm -hmm. much what manifesting is. You say, I'm, I'm there. You try to place yourself in a place of, in a state of gratitude for that moment as if it has already occurred. Mm -hmm. And then your brain supposedly doesn't know the difference between feeling in time and, and feeling in the, like in present time and feeling in the future. So it reacts as if you have already got that thing. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it manifests in your life. I'm not sure exactly what the science of that would be, but it doesn't seem, doesn't seem that crazy. No, I think that's a great spin on it, to be honest. Um, you know, keeping focused on whatever task it is and, and kind of letting, um, letting everything else fall to the wayside and not being hyper focused or hyper vigilant on the, on the, 
things that you want to avoid or, um, you know, your, your obstacles, you know, sometimes spending too much time thinking about obstacles really divert your attention away from your goal. And I think you, anything is possible when you have enough passion and you reach out for it and you stay, um, undistracted from your goal you and know? unattached and unattached to like the you re- you need to be okay if you fail yeah ahead of time mm-hmm. be like yeah and if i fail i don't care yeah it's you need good. your failures really yeah. i mean gosh i think every you know major presence that you know public presence or successful what we consider successful presence they had a thousand failures to get to that point to get to that point in their life and so and most of them try to hide them <laughs> really mm-hmm. really uh effectively if they're very successful because it's that's another thing that's very stigmatized mm-hmm. is people don't want to be led by failures mm-hmm. they don't want to be led by people who fail a lot look at donald trump mm-hmm. donald trump had a lot of failures in his life mm-hmm. and that was like the major thing people were saying like he's been bankrupt so many times he's all had all these failed universities and what trump stakes or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot of companies that went under and all this, these problems but he's still the He's the president now. So yeah. like he did something right. He made it there somehow. So I, I you got to give him props for that. But um, that was like somehow at Teflon Dawn, people would still bring that. This guy's a failure. What, what should, we should get rid of him. But as if that was justification. But I don't I don't think it is. The pussy grabbing thing, I think, would be enough. But yeah. Were you a different man or did that behavior continue? That was continue one of the things that shocked me the most. Just recently. <laughs> And you have two minutes for this. I told you, that was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I am a person who has great respect for people, for my family, for the- I couldn't believe it. That was before we elected him. Yeah, and that so many people chose not to- um, People of this country. And certainly I'm not proud of it. But that was something that uh, happened. If you look at uh, Bill Clinton, far worse, minor words, and his was action. His was what he's done to women. There's never been anybody in the history of politics in this nation that's been so abusive to women. So you can say any way you want to say it, but Bill Clinton was abusive to women. You know, the pres- I don't vote, so um, I don't necessarily believe in, in the, the way that they go about, um, you know, that with the negative campaigning and this, I and hate this that. at odds kind of. Mudslinging should be yeah, illegal. Yeah, I just, I, I'm not impressed with how many people do it and um, and to the capacity to which they Clinton do it. Hillary those same women and um, attacked them viciously, four of them here tonight. One of the women, who is a wonderful woman at 12 years old, was raped. Um, that aside, like I have a pretty high expectation and standard for somebody that represents the country as far as morality 12. and ethics. And to me, that was such a huge breach of what I think should exemplify the human peach the human person and the human um condition for our country at least idealistically yeah like it, it was like just aspirationally like, client, yeah. she represented got him off and she's seen laughing on two separate occasions laughing at the girl who was raped and that so many people just chose not to to you know to see that part of it, you know, it was just, it was that really kind of disheartening. young woman is here with us tonight. So don't tell me about words. I am absolutely, I apologize for those <laughs> oh words. Oh my God. But it is things that people say 
what it felt President like people did. were he was impeached he lost his license to practice law he had to pay an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine to one of the women paula jones who's also here tonight it, it felt like the first time that people were accepting this as like okay this is and like i will tell you that when hillary brings up a point like that and she talks about words that i said 11 years ago we knew that america like on a world stage americans don't have the best reputation for being like polite mm -hmm. or or couth i think yeah. it's disgraceful yeah. and i think is couth a word i know uncouth is a word <laughs> but it's the opposite well, of uncouth not, you just made it a word yeah so, <laughs> so donald trump is uh yeah he's not couth mm. <laughs> yeah but then it seems like okay if the republican largely christian right is okay with this guy mm -hmm. pussy grabbing and all mm -hmm. does that just mean it's okay like I, that seems off that, yeah. that doesn't seem right but it did allow it was allowed to go like it went through yeah yeah it's i was crazy. pretty shocked by that i had one person um give an argument for trump to me and it was the only person that ever made any sense to me and that that the impulse that he brought into the political scene despite all those kind of distractions about his personal character are still ones that were needed at the time to kind of challenge some of the, um, the bigger um, controlling factors of, of what goes on in our government and, and to question it, you know? And to me, that was the only argument I ever heard that like I was on board with, like, yeah. you know, I had to let go of who I think he is as a person and see the bigger picture of the message and the change that he's trying to promote in our governmental system. And uh, I, I listened, I listened to that argument and I gave it a lot of thought and um, I wish that we had more um, conversations like that in our, in our world where we could, we could bring up a subject matter that's kind of like a hot topic, hot issue, very emotionally charged subject matter and, and spin it in a way that I'm willing to listen and set all that other judgment aside and like really see the issue for the essence of what it is and uh and how that could very well be needed you know and you know. yeah i felt the same way yeah and i still kind of do mm. that, i had that experience several times throughout his presidency mm. where it was just like yeah i agree with a lot of the things that he is actually saying right now and it, i and i would feel like reasonable people in the same boat be like yeah he's kind of right about that um and then the second you open the door a little bit to be like, yeah. maybe, maybe he's okay. Then he says some some things where you're just like, no, I'm not on your team. Yeah. You're such a bad guy. Like yeah. he calls some, you know, journalist a fat, disgusting pig or, or like mm -hmm. says some horrible, horrible stuff. And at a certain point, I just got to be like, that's who he is. Yeah. He he looks for these opportunities where people are starting to be like, maybe he's okay. And that's when he'll get you. Mm -hmm. but, so much turbulence surrounding that guy. Yeah. So. Oh, it's not over either. It's yeah. We're just getting ready for the next run. Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if that will be the candidate for the Republican Party. I can't see it not being. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I could think of better ones, but actually I can't because I don't really keep up with the political scene all that much. Um, but I hope Me to either. someday, you know, I hope, I mean, I definitely, um, I was really, I, I spoke to my boss at the port a little bit about this the other day. Like I was really happy. I don't know. This is kind of like, I'm not really 
choosing a side because I don't believe in the you know division that I think left and right wing and it's an blue and red you know causes in our country and um but I like dichotomy yeah I really liked Obama in that he felt real to me when he talked and I didn't see a whole lot of mudslinging and stuff in his campaign and I I'm remembering that more and more as you know I get older in my life like that's the kind of person I want to see more of, like people that I believe in when they talk and they're not yeah. talking because they're trying to present an idea. They're talking because this is who I am. You know what I mean? And he, at I the felt, very least, they got to be able to sell it. Like, yeah. even if that's not the truth, mm-hmm. which for most politicians at that level, it's probably not, but you got to be able to make us feel like it is. Obama yeah. was by far our coolest president. Yeah. I, I would like to hang out with that guy. I, yeah. That's the, that's the impulse that I got from him. It's like, he's somebody I could totally hang out with, you know, yeah. and not feel like, I'm, um, you know, a different, you know, I'm lesser of a person or any yeah. of that stuff. Like he had a very authentic feel to him. And I don't always see that. I see that in a lot of political campaigning, you know, there is this, this persona, this presentation of something that, I don't really know who you are underneath. Bullshit. You know, I don't feel like I know who you are. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't get that with him. And um, so I was really happy about that. I never voted for him. I never. I still didn't vote back then. But I, out of all the presidents that have come and gone since, um, you know, since back in the day, last person I think I, I voted for was Ross Perot or something Holy like that. Holy shit, I knew you were going to say that somehow. <laughs> I really did. I heard the, the name was in my head before you said it. Yeah, it was a uh, while ago. Ross Perot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I didn't know shit about politics back then, you know. Um, you just didn't want Bush again. I guess. I don't know who. I was that know. the one? Bush, Bush, the one that he kind of, yeah, he kept him from getting a second term. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember even that much back then. And, I, and that's another thing. I'm not informed enough to really vote. I never feel like I really know the issues enough. There was four, really four channels back then. Yeah. Four channels and no internet. <laughs> yeah. So you knew what everybody else knew. <laughs> yeah. Bill Clinton, like that was right before the Clinton scandal and all that. I, I was in kindergarten when the Clinton scandal happened. And mm. I remember it fairly clearly yeah. as it being like a really big deal. But it was just the, the level of uniform information. People mm. all knew the same version of like what's going on in the world mm-hmm. that is gone mm-hmm. that doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. you go to the grocery store and start a conversation with somebody about something you just read you better fill them in all the way because they probably didn't read it mm-hmm. it's like everyone has different news everyone has different sources of information and it's it's confusing it makes it so much harder to feel like a cohesive nation it, mm-hmm. like a any sense of civic duty or or kind of like just impulse to be better to your fellow man mm-hmm. it really probably goes way down when we're not all living in the same reality mm-hmm. which is how it feels yeah i mean if it's uh you know but you brought up a good point too and i can't remember if it was the last podcast or the one before where you know if it's authentic of what's being presented to you right and not some kind of propaganda right for you to side with whatever um, narrative that they want you to side or agenda that they want you to side with. And so, yeah, that's a trippy, that's a tricky subject matter because, um, sometimes I think that there is very clear agenda driven media and, um, and to have options to see outside of that, you know, and, and be balanced enough in your own space, like you said, or, or suggested, you know, to not just, have the confirmation bias of the side that you agree with and start to look at other people's side too and, and kind of get this balanced point of view. 
Um, I think, you know, if we can do that and we have access to stuff like that, I think we're, we're setting ourselves up for a lot more success, you know, in, the, mm-hmm. in, in unity in our country, or at least not division, you know, and, 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 and antagonism, you know, like one of the things I didn't like about some of that campaigning is like, you know, the, the red and the, and the blue were literally like beating each other up and, and yeah. over some of this stuff, you know, and that's, that's too much, you know, that's too extreme and, and to incite that much, um, uh, emotional charging into our community, I think is, is not, is not right. And, um, it doesn't represent the situation the way it really is. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem like one side is going to win and the other side's going to lose. Yeah. And then you're losers for four years yeah. at least. Yeah. And it's not the case. And it's right and wrong. And there's no right and wrong because every side has its, you know, its, um, you know, its benefit, its, its color, its, uh, its beauty, you know, and every site, every side has the stuff that they need to work on too. You know yeah. what I mean? And so and whoever wins, we all get a president. Yeah. Or no one's leaving without a president here. So yeah. it's just maybe not the one you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And we need that contrast to kind of sometimes help us uh, focus on what is important and what's yeah n- maybe not less important. You know, It helps to steer the ship, mm-hmm. keep us going in a straight line. You can't lean too hard in one direction or the other, you'll crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of balance, let's talk about acupuncture. Okay. Do you get acupuncture yourself? I used to. Yeah. Yeah. More so when I was in school, cause we could treat each other for free and we go to the mm. clinic for free. And, um, um, not so much here just because, you know, I usually can't afford it to be honest. And, uh, it's definitely not the same experience to act, you know, do needles on yourself. I've tried that occasionally. If something's really, really out of whack, like I'll, I'll start needling myself, but, uh, typically I don't do it unless it's pretty, I imagine that would be hard, pretty extreme. Yeah. But I enjoy it and I love it. And my only problem now with it is like I've kind of settled into my way of what I think a treatment should be and feel like. And I don't know if I know anybody who's on a similar path. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, if I knew for sure that somebody gave a reasonably priced treatment that included all the things that I think benefit me, then I'd probably be more on board with it. And so, um, you think you'll ever take on an apprentice? I don't know. Just teach them exactly how you want it and then have them do it. Yeah. I mean, I would never do that. Like I would never teach them exactly the way I want it. I no, would, I mean, I don't mean only that teach yeah. them all the good stuff, Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. that way, somebody around who, you know, who's like, yeah, this is what I like. And you mm-hmm. don't have to have the risk of like trying a bunch of strangers. Yeah. Yeah. I think if somebody was like definitely interested in the way I approach things and wanted to learn more of how I do things, then that would be cool. You know, like I, I would definitely probably share that, but I don't know if I'm that mature in my practice to, to really feel like I have that much to give yet. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm learning a lot of it on my own. I got into acupuncture late in my healthcare career. So, you know, this is still a pretty new thing for me. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a vision of what I want it to be and what I, I hope to accomplish with it. But, uh, I definitely feel like I'm far away from that, you know, the, the fruits of that vision, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's cool. You have a plan. Yeah. That's, that's the best part is, is having a plan and moving forward towards a goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can be. It's pretty intimidating to you though, because there's yeah. a lot to learn about it. It's very in-depth. It's very elaborate. Um, there's a lot of um, scholarly um, 
precedence to it. And, you know, I'm kind of burnt on reading because I've been doing it for so long and it's hard for me to engage uh, in that capacity. I bet a lot of that's old writing too, huh? Yeah. So yeah. it's probably even harder to read. And there's a lot of potential for translation still. You know, there's not, there's a lot of stuff out there that hasn't been translated either at all or very well. And you can, you know, a lot of um, the ideas behind that traditional medicine come from the idea of looking at a character and seeing all the versions of that character and and understanding and translating that idea. It's more of an idea versus like cut and dry. This is, you know, the definition. It's it's very little, from what I'm gathering of translations, very, very small in the area of like definite and very broad in the area of like potential of variety variety there's a lot of variety to the characters that sounds very much more true to life mm -hmm. than the dsm yeah it's just like a series of check boxes you either check them or you don't yeah yeah that's a very <clears throat> kind of linear system and uh this you know it, it's it's interesting and it, you start to learn about how deep that medicine goes and how f you can spend multiple lifetimes learning it like probably any medicine to some degree if you really dig in deep you know uh, any subject really mm -hmm. like you, you could just go and go yeah get into yeah. the minutiae mm -hmm. yeah so parts of that's intimidating but i definitely feel like i'm at a place where i'm comfortable with what i want to pursue and uh i definitely kind of have um my sights on when i'm able to to really dig into the things that really draw me and i needed to practice for a while to figure out what's really drawing me mm -hmm. in as far as things i want to you know invest time into improving you know and stuff like that but yeah it's a beautiful it's a beautiful medicine i like the holistic mindset you know it's challenging in a lot of ways extremely challenging in a lot of ways you know acupuncture and probably any fringe type uh, therapy, although it's becoming less fringe now, you know, there's definitely more inclusion into the mainstream medicine now than we've probably seen in any other time in our history. Um, that would know, probably make it less challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more integration potential. Some hospitals I've heard have acupuncture floors or departments that are completely dedicated. And uh, it's good to see that, you know, I, I mean, I think that's the, that's the real goal of trying to get as much variety and versatility in the healthcare system as as we can in order to solve as many problems as we can you know there's a lot of things that can't be solved with um even the you know the the mighty uh scientifically driven devices and, and diagnostics and and thought that we have in in biomedicine um and so there's you know and then just collaboration right like i think one of the biggest things that i think is missing maybe with um you know, the contemporary system is like we specialize everything and we push it all off onto this person that spends their whole life doing it. And that's great. You know, those people are really good at what they do, but they still need to collaborate with the people that are doing their other thing too. And I don't- And all, the patient. Yeah, and definitely the patient. Like who's like, the foremost not, expert on your body other than you? Like mm -hmm. you're there. Yeah. And you have the time. <laughs> this is another thing too. Like I see, you know, or have heard or get the impression that, you know, sometimes- we have a tendency to, as physicians or clinicians to discount a person's interpretation of their own body because, you know, it's so easy to get online and start looking at symptoms. And then you, before yeah. you know it, you have 20 diagnoses, you know, I get that why yeah. that would be hard, mm -hmm. but it, it that kind of cuts both ways. Cause it's, 
is infuriating to be to get that look from your doctor when you've done research and you you, you feel like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And you say, hey, look, this is what I've seen. What and they don't even respond to what mm-hmm. you said. They just write you off and like, oh, well, you know, everybody gets on WebMD. It's like, oh, that feels shitty. Yeah, and to treat you like you're not a, a scholar that's of similar caliber, right? Yeah, and that's the part that infuriates me, me because most of those people, if not all of them, are a hell of a lot more invested in their own health than you're going to be in your 15 minute session that you're ordering labs and, and doing your medications or whatever. And I'm not denouncing any of the schooling that they go through because it's very rigorous. And they definitely learn a lot of things, uh, physicians and nurses and all that stuff. But, you know, you need to be able to assimilate what people are saying. And I think, you know, if you have an opinion that is counter to what they're saying, explain it. Explain it to them and don't treat them like they can't understand what you're thinking or, or the thought processes or the depth of your knowledge. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you need to be able to give them something to let them know, like, you know, okay, well, I can see that, but this is why I don't see it, you know, and, and X, yeah. Y, and Z, or this research, or, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, this similar presentation with these kind of patients that turned out to be something completely different. So that's why, you know, justifying your 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 thought process, I think is a huge part of communication. And I, sometimes there's a lack of that, you know? And I think uh, they probably think it makes them look fallible. Yeah. Because it does. I mean, it makes it look like you're, it's a, it's an iterative process. You're figuring it out as you go. Yeah. We know you're back there Googling stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. it's okay. And you don't want to invalidate somebody else's time that they put into investing in themselves and learning about themselves, you know, and, and help guide them. You know, it's really about guidance. Like, you know, this is, you can teach people how to be educated and informed in their research gathering as well. And um, I think that's sometimes a bit of a missing link in our system. And I think it could be treated a little bit with a little bit more um, delicacy. Yeah, we don't have to completely outsource the medical thought to Mm -hmm. the doctors. Like Mm -hmm. we can still think about like what can maybe help, look Mm -hmm. for patterns like, oh, this made me feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But they don't really expect you to do that. They, I think a lot, and a lot of people probably don't want to do that, Mm -hmm. but I'm obsessed with it. I can't help but think about it. Um, Sometimes probably to a detriment, but Mm -hmm. yeah, just to, so when I go into a doctor's office, it's it's like a must. If they if they can't let me talk and like explain and ask questions and stuff, it's not going to be a good relationship. Yeah. And I've only recently found a doctor who actually lets me do that, and I she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're gold. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like there could be two parallel systems: the standard medical business, which is now in place, where mm-hmm. the goal is ultimately to to treat people's symptoms and extract profit from them. Mm-hmm. There could be a parallel system whose goal is overall net benefit to society's health. Mm-hmm. And the the profit even could exist in the system, but it'd be probably more functional as a non-for-profit mm-hmm. venture. And um, they use all kinds of holistic medicine and natural remedies and all, all whatever, whatever works. Like everything's, you know, scientifically researched. I think those two systems could operate completely independently of each other. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a matter of how you measure success too, right? Like, yeah. you know, um, capitalistic culture, we, uh, we measure success by accumulation, you know? And so, um, and at the, sometimes at the expense of, of, you know, of different, uh, factors. And so, you know, we can still be successful without having to be rich, you yeah. know what I mean? Like we don't need a lot of that stuff. And, 
and it's just how we look at at success in our in our culture sometimes is is you know kind of challenging but that, that's a weird one too because it's so ingrained at least in my mind uh, just probably most americans that money does equal success mm-hmm. like once you have that money that's how you're successful but yeah. i don't think that's really going to yeah. pan out i think you know one of the things that i've learned about you know, natural medicine or holistic medicine is that nature will correct itself. It always does. So it can't get too far out of whack before something will, will, um, pull it back in and rein it in. And so, uh, there is some solace in that. I think, you know, there's definitely, um, some encouragement there and I think we're seeing it, you know, for a long time, alternative medicine wasn't even, um, a thing, you know, it was very rare. You could, if you could even find it at all, and, you know, now it has a lot more visibility, has a lot more traction. It's, it's being integrated in a very positive way. And that came from consumerism. Like there, um, you know, when you look at the demographics, this is some of the, you know, some of the research I ran across or, you know, was talking to somebody about, like it literally, the financial demographic was of people spending money out of pocket for alternative therapy was so big that it forced the big companies and the big system to look at it oh. with seriousness, you know, and to start to look at inclusion, right? Because they're they, leaving money on the they're, table. They're missing out on all this stuff. And people are, are that convinced or, or that, um, impassioned to seek out that or whatever the reason is, uh, to seek out that kind of therapy that, you know, they're willing to, to shell out their own money to do it. And I think that's a powerful message. And that's one that has shifted, um, how, you know, the medical system has progressed to this day. And I think it, it's encouraging at times to, to see that, you know, I've also heard of this model recently as is beautiful. This is one of the most, um, encouraging stories I've heard of recently. There's a, a gentleman across the river and I don't know him. So I, you know, I'm going to speak about him. Um, uh, you know, just from what I've heard third, you know, third party information, but, um, he's setting up a, a model of healthcare that's primary care. Uh, I think he's a DO, uh, which is an osteopathic physician. And he does, uh, you know, most of the mainstream medication and, and lab work and all that other kind of stuff. In addition to like, you know, uh, manipulation similar to a chiropractor, probably even more in depth. I don't know a whole lot about it. It's not my specialty. Um, but for like a monthly fee, you know what I mean? And oh, like, wow. yeah. And it's like reasonable. It's like a hundred bucks a month, you know, and you can see him whenever you want. You can get same day appointments if you call early enough. And, uh, I was like, how the hell does that model work? And I read, I read a little bit more on his website and, uh, he limits the amount of patients that he has access to where, you know, traditional doctors sometimes are real, you know, overly burdened with the, with this huge patient load of like thousands of people. And yeah. part of the problem too is like, you know, there's just, there's probably more need than there are physicians and the ones that, you know, uh, maybe want to spend more time with you than, you know, whatever it is, 15, 30 minutes or during your appointment, they can't because they have thousands of people that need to come in and see them. And so and you can feel that you don't even want to burden them with your thousand questions. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And so their, their hands are tied, uh, in some ways too, which is, is kind of unfortunate and that's a big system issue. But, um, you know, to me, this was sounded like a very good solution to it. And the guy, from what I saw on his site, completely reasonable with his pricing, you know, like, you know, um, for me, a hundred dollars a month is less than most insurance companies charge. And that's for, you know, everything but emergency care, you know, uh, 
And so, well, not everything, but a lot of things. I mean, he had surgical procedures up there for like 500 bucks, a, wow. a vasectomy for like 500 bucks. Like where do you wow. get a surgical procedure for like less than $1,000? You know, a lot of procedures. I wonder are if like, he's the one who did my vasectomy. Is it Dr. Baxter? Yeah, yeah, that's I what I'm talking he, about. I feel like he might be, I had him, either he reload, like he uh, it helped me when I dislocated my knee mm -hmm. or he tore a small hole in my scrotum and snipped my nuts. Mm -hmm. One of those two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I like the idea of the model, right? Like yeah, it, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's very, you know, um, very encouraging to see that. And he, it sounds like there's a movement in our country right now to simulate that model or he's simulating, you know, somebody else's idea, whatever it is. It seems very realistic and, and very needed. And, you know, I think, you know, if, financial exclusion from services will be less of a thing with that kind of model, you know, and that's, that's another big thing. You know, we have a lot of stuff that can be done with contemporary medicine, you know, with contemporary medicine that people just don't have the money to pursue, you know yeah. what I mean? And if you pursue it early enough, one of the things that I've learned in Chinese medicine or traditional Chinese medicine is that if you, if you get stuff early, you have a way better chance of fixing it and being sustainable. Um, uh, management of that issue than if you catch it too late because once you start catching stuff too late it really gets out of hand and the conversation you can't be shut down anymore you know the exponential growth yeah your conversation with your body and so um, I was really encouraged to see that and hope to learn more about it at some point that's the kind of model that I want to support you know like, that sounds amazing yeah yeah I should get him on the podcast yeah I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of time sounds like a busy man but i don't know they they limit their patient loads he has a waiting list i know that much and he, he limits his patient load i think from what i saw on the explanation of how that model works to like 500 people so it um it allows for him to get same day appointments with people or next day appointments at worst case scenario if they call too late or whatever and um you know it's still financially like um supportive and validating for his education because he still can be successful as an individual yeah. practitioner and pay his bills and all those kind of things and still offer services that aren't you know um, that r limit who who has access to him uh, or is less limiting to who has access to him and i thought i think it's beautiful so I, i'm glad for uh the gal i spoke to that um, shared that information with me and, and it's encouraging to see those kind of changes. That, that's Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. That's a big shift. Yeah. There's the Astoria Birth Center also. That's mm. a kind of an alternative uh, to the traditional birthing system. Mm -hmm. Like, <clears throat> And it's just uh, Rebecca Orton. She was a guest on the show. Oh, okay. And uh, she just, much like you, saw holes in the system and realized that there was a kind of a service vacuum mm -hmm. and she just decided to open this clinic. And now they're they're really successful and people love it. Good for her, yeah. It's promising. Yeah, yeah. People are really drawn to that, and you know, I think it it shows when you have a, you know, a, a personal interest in helping the culture, you know, and helping your your community, you know, and um, you know, unfortunately, healthcare is a very stable profession, and it draws in uh, sometimes people that you know aren't probably doing it for the right reasons. And, um, and you know, doesn't make them bad doctors to, no. to be said like mm -hmm. that 
I, I really think that that is a, a bonus almost if their if their heart is in it for the right reasons. Also, probably will help with longevity. Mm-hmm. Like I can't imagine burnout uh, not happening if you're not emotionally invested in your work. Yeah, when you're working like that, because mm-hmm. that's hard. But but it helps these other people that really kind of branch out and do their own thing really stand out and really brings success to those people too that have that passion and that's ballsy. Yeah, that'd be really hard to do that. Yeah, branch out from a, such a, an established system that you're already a part of. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's all on you, you know what I mean? And and you're not going to be carried by the system. And um, that that takes a lot of courage. And I, you know, I applaud people that, you know, go for that and, and make it work and make it successful. You know, they they have a lot to offer and it shows and, and people are drawn to that kind of passion and, and connection, you know, connection really is really what it comes down to. And so that's great. That's great that those kind of things are happening and I'm encouraged a lot more encouraged these days to hear that so yeah connection is exactly what it is Mm -hmm. that's because you can feel that kind of like resistance to wanting to go to the doctor if you know that you're gonna leave frustrated and Mm -hmm. most likely not helped which is probably a a pretty good chance most most of the time especially if you're not exactly sure what's wrong with you Mm -hmm. and you just go in there and be like i just don't feel good i want you to tell me what's wrong with me Mm -hmm. and you know you don't get what you want you're less likely likely to go back but if you have a personal relationship with the practitioner who's in there, and even if they send you out with the exact same result, but you felt heard, you're yeah. going to go back. It's totally, it's totally a thing. And, uh, and that's part of the therapy too. Like a lot of people don't uh, maybe want to uh, calculate that into their research or whatever, but it's, it's, it's about intervention, but it's also about connection. Like, you know, like we're just talking about like part of the therapy when I, when we, have our sessions together and and talking about life and, and, you know, we kind of have a podcast every session. And so, um, you know, that's where the healing begins. The healing begins right when you step on the property and what the property looks like and and what the environment looks like inside your office and what the feel is of, of your staff and what the feel is of uh other clients and and the puppy you brought a puppy in the mix <laughs> yeah yeah oh man that it's vibe like, in there is good now that's a puppy vibe <laughs> yeah yeah I've been <laughs> that's wanting... such a cute dog i uh, man yeah. adorable thank you i was so happy when i walked in and saw a puppy I was like, yes <laughs> yeah. i hope he's still got that other client in there i need a few minutes with this puppy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's an energetic thing right i mean it's uh it brings joy and and that already shifts your day a yeah. lot of times. I'm know? super sensitive to energy, mm-hmm. like good and bad. And I also emit a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I turn off the Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. but it's- Yeah, good for you. <laughs> it's it's a very real thing. And I've always felt it, but never really put any thought into it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I've just always thought of myself as a sensitive person, mm-hmm. um, but always kind of as a derogatory term, uh, but it's not, it's it's not at all. Sensitivity is, is not a- a downside to to your way of being no it's a it's really it can be a gift it's totally. just it's just something that it's like a high-powered telescope mm-hmm. you don't want to point that thing at the sun like yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good way to look at it it's just sensitive <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a beautiful gift actually and it really puts you in tune with a lot of things that um you know are very important and, mm-hmm. and important things the most at. important things yeah yeah i think that's where empathy comes from right and you know, for different professions, you know, you know, every profession has its ideal qualities that they're, you know, I think help people excel. Sensitivity and healthcare, I think, are a very good compatible mix, and um, and in all things of in life, relationships too, right? Like, yeah. if you don't have sensitivity, you know, I don't think you really have. 
a recipe for very successful relationships. I'll uh, tell you the place where it's a where it's a burden. Government work. Uh-huh. You need to be cold and heartless. Really? I think so. Yeah. I think it makes you better. Okay. Uh, in terms of authority, it's uh, if you're the if you have the kind of job where you're you're required to do a certain specific action by the book every time, mm-hmm. that gets very slippery. If your if your emotions are constantly getting in the way, it'd be like, well, like if, let's say if you're a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would make a terrible police officer hmm. because I'm way too forgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm willing to accept your apology mm. and let you go on with your life as long as you promise mm-hmm. you're not going to do it again. Yeah, and if you do and you're it convincing. again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with your promise. Exactly, um, because I want to believe the best in people, mm-hmm. but some people are shitty mm. and they will lie to you and they will get away with it if it's me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so there, it's the we need the people who are shrewd mm-hmm. and just kind of uncouth yeah to, to keep them reined in yeah same with the military too you know like yep. I, I don't think a, a soldier would be very good if they're you know pretty squeamish about you know uh doing some of the jobs that are, are needed in that in that profession and and so there's yeah definitely professions where there's you know not a big need for it you know that's the thing is it takes all kinds of people to do this thing and finding we're, your niche you know yeah, we're all one big thing learning to capitalize on what your uh what your attributes are and what your strengths are you know yeah and building up your weaknesses so. <clears throat> that's definitely a big part of it mm-hmm. so. well before we get out of here why don't you tell people where they can get a hold of you find your find your information in case they want to schedule appointments or uh Okay. Just call and have a conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I practice out of uh, the Earthlight Massage Building uh, in Long Beach, Washington. I'm about a half a block south of the post office there. Um, Used to be Sunbrellas. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm new to the area, so I'm not sure about its history. Been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Actually, my my mother-in-law used to run Sunbrellas. Oh, okay. uh, Carla down the road. Oh, okay. Uh, small town What's stuff. What's umbrellas? It was a tanning salon slash, I think, a hair salon, oh, I think. I oh. think. Piercings maybe too. Okay. This is a, yeah, one of those places of the late, uh, early, early 2000s when there was tanning salons everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was hitting them up. Oh, okay. I had a beautiful golden glow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So that's, I, I know that building definitely has some history. I, I had somebody come in one day that was like, yeah, we used to do our HR work out of this very you know room and it looks just the same and you know get to hear a lot of history here on the peninsula in general you know there's a lot of history here yeah it really is when you start talking to people they're uh very connected this is a very connected place i I really like that a very supportive place you know it's got a really good feel here there's a lot of variety there's a lot of um there's a lot of good vibes here you know what i mean i agree and so I agree. I think it's a special place. It's mm. a. I like raising kids here. It's. Mm. It's. I mean, it's got. It's. It's got its uh, scars, mm-hmm. as does every place. But it's. A, it's yeah. a beautiful place to be. Yeah, I, I like it. I like the connectiveness here. You know, it's. Uh, it's. It's interesting. Well, we're lucky <laughs> to have you here. Your your service is something that we were really lacking, and mm. you're good at it. And I. I personally am very grateful to have you around. Well, thank so thank you. you for coming into town. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I hope to do more good works. You know, I'm trying my best. Still have a long way to go to really uh, learn some of the some of the stuff I've been exposed to. But you know, I'm I'm, I'm vigilant, and you know, I'm still in school. I'm still progressing my knowledge, and. Uh, I'm hoping to, you know, make changes where other people may not have been able to. So 
we'll see we'll see how that works out and uh you know i definitely i enjoy it most of the time you know so that's important yeah yeah that's real important so all right well thank you so much for being here this has been a really really good conversation yeah thank you thanks for having me jeff uh it's been a pleasure absolutely thank you very much talk to you guys later all right we'll see you bye-bye i hope you've enjoyed this episode of ramble by the river if you did it really helps us out if you leave us a rating or a review like us on facebook instagram or twitter and if you want to get more involved and support the show you can subscribe to our patreon page for exclusive content bonus episodes and a ramble by the river t-shirt with every royal rambler subscription after three months instructions for how to join are at ramblebytheriver.com click the subscribe link and it's easy peasy lemon squeezy thanks again for listening come back next week bye Nobody take me here and I